0: You know, you go through these lows and highs, but going into 300, it just felt like we were invincible. Like just feeling like fired up and like, let's just go. So it was wild to hit that mark and then feel all kinds of new energy. Like that was what was so special about it. Cause you you get beyond 300 miles and then you realize, wow, like you have more force than you ever had even in the first day. You're like, where did this come from? So, I mean, so much is the mindset to get out there when it's cold and rainy and 11 p.m., you know, like what's driving you. So then it gets us back to the question of why. And that's the other major thing. And like, to be honest with you, whenever I'm doing a race that I really care about, I actually write down my why statement. And I write down a bunch of stuff under why. Some are sort of personal. Some definitely would be like for other people, you know, for my students or my parents, I would like to impact other people in their lifestyle. That motivates me a lot to do my very best to hopefully impact someone else. Yay.
1: The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. How you guys doing? Are you good? Is it all good out there? Good, well, prepare for more good because my guest today is Cincinnati-based high school teacher and plant-based ultra running phenomenon, Harvey Lewis. This guy, get a load of this. He's been running ultras for over 25 years at this point, over 76 ultras and counting, including 10 Badwater appearances. And along the way, he's won a whole bunch of them. He's won a slew of races. But this past year at the ripe age of 45, Harvey finds this brand new gear, not only winning his second Badwater, but following it up this past October with just an absolutely stunning win at the Big Dog's Backyard Ultra, which is this really cool last person standing format that entails running a four mile loop every hour on the hour until nobody's left, where he clocked an astounding and world record setting, 354 miles over an 85-hour period. 354 miles on essentially no sleep. How does he do it? Well, we're about to find out, but first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to oncom slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it, pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. So Harvey, The first thing you notice about Harvey is just his infectious energy. This guy is bursting with positivity. And this conversation was just an absolute joy. Of course, we cover his storied career from the dirty details behind his Backyard Ultra breakthrough to also becoming the fastest to run from Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in North America to the actual summit of Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the contiguous US. We also discuss the hows and whys behind his training, continued improvement, and the role that his plant-based diet plays in all of this. We discuss how he balances life as an elite ultramarathoner with his full-time occupation as a high school teacher, And how the two actually inform each other. We, in addition, talk about his FKT attempt on the Appalachian Trail, how it brought him closer to his father who crewed the affair, and the documentary, which is entitled, Like Harvey, Like Son, that tells the tale. If there is a theme to this one, it's the power of showing up, making room for the magic that comes with rigorous, consistent, and patient pursuit of the thing you love. It's also a masterclass on mental toughness, how pushing beyond the limits of what we perceive possible rests not in physical talents, but instead in training mindset. I love this guy. I think you will too. So here we go. Harvey Lewis in all his resplendent awesomeness. Harvey Lewis is in the house. I can't believe you came out here to see me, man. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: It's an absolute honor. Honestly, I'm so excited
1: to be here. Um, in thinking about your story and as somebody who I followed for a long time, you know, I'm very familiar with your career. Uh, you're a guy who's been rocking ultra since the 90s. I mean, you've had this 25 year career of doing this thing and have had plenty of successes along the way. But I gotta say, you're really having a moment right now.
0: It's, right? It like it's wild. It's
1: crazy. Yeah. Like you're having huge breakthroughs and winning races at a level that, you know, I don't know, would you have even thought this possible five years ago? Here you are at age 45, just absolutely crushing the game. What is going on? <laughs> it's amazing.
0: Honestly, like, well, I think back to all the different stages, you know, starting off in 1996, which 25 years ago was my first ultra. And I would never have dreamed where I am today, going back 25 years ago, never, ever would have dreamed that. And just in the last, uh, even in the last five years to be able to do the things we did this year, Mm -hmm. it it just, uh, it kind of have to like, just sometimes I don't feel like it's even real.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a ball of energy, but it wasn't. I mean, how many weeks ago did you do uh, big, <laughs> the Big Dog Big Dogs Backyard? I mean, that was in October, right?
0: Yeah, it was uh, three and a half weeks ago. We right. had the the uh, World Championship of Big's Backyard, uh, Last Person Standing event
1: in the Backyard of Laz Lakes uh, Wilderness in Tennessee. So let's just start there. I mean, that's that race has come up. In the past, because we had Courtney in here who was talking about the last time that she you know went around the loop with you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh this year was a different affair. Um, for people that don't know, maybe explain the format of the backyard ultra situation because it's very unique. Definitely. And Courtney is amazing, of Mm -hmm. course, you know. So uh the Backyard
0: Ultra is basically a race where you do uh, half the race is on the trail and half the race is on the road, so it's a 4.167 mile loop.
1: I like how and, it goes down to the thousandth,
0: yeah, yeah, of, I know, of a right? mile. and like, even your finishing inch, thing is down inch, to the thousandth every inch. Yeah. yeah, it's it's incredible. And this is wild because Laz actually dreamed this up when he was in high school, mm-hmm. he had this idea, and it didn't really come to uh, fermentation until like he was in his 60s, and so I mean, it's it's a it's a race that every 24 hours, you're, you're running 100 miles. Yeah. And you just keep on going until the last person can, can run a lap. And as you're going, if you don't make it back to the, uh, the loop uh, in 60 minutes, you're out. Or if you're, you don't start the loop after 60 minutes, mm-hmm. then you're out of the race. Right, so and you so, do
1: this four, 4.167 mile loop on the hour, every hour until literally last man is standing
0: last man or woman
1: yeah last man <laughs> yeah. or woman right
0: yeah it's yeah i mean you can take naps if you uh finish fast enough to have like 7 or 8 minutes remaining or 10 minutes uh you you have to eat like a ton of food mm-hmm. and you have to keep your mind in the right place
1: and is you could go as fast as you want obviously the faster you go the more rest you're getting and as time wears on you're slowing down so that window starts to shrink. I mean, at the end you're getting like 12 minutes or so of rest in between. So there's no sleep involved here. Like there's barely enough time to sit down and get something in your belly before you're up and at it again.
0: Yeah, the the first year I ran it in 2017, it was completely novel. I had no idea what I was doing. And back then we didn't sleep. But now I really try to incorporate sleep because the further it goes uh, after like, the first night I can make it through without even caffeine, like drinking caffeinated right. drinks. You know, it's not really a big problem, but once you get in the second night and then the third night, you feel like a zombie at times, you know, you, you almost get to that, you get to those moments where you, you start to s- sleep for like a microsecond, like while you're running you, uh-huh. and you wake yourself up. Yeah. It, it, uh, so, sleep has become an important component. And uh, on the nighttime loops, you can go faster than on the trail because it's on the road. Road. And mm. I would make maybe uh, 48 minute loops uh, or out and backs. So, I'd have 12 minutes where I could utilize like just eating as much as humanly possible in five minutes. And I would like lay down for maybe five or six minutes. And I'm able not to, really sure. Able to I, fall asleep? I didn't really fall asleep most of the time. I would just lay there. but Uh, I kind of experimented with it. And I found that even laying down with your eyes shut for like five or six minutes is really powerful. It actually, it it does revitalize you to Mm -hmm. an extent, even if you can't fall asleep.
1: Right, Courtney was talking about these one minute naps where she thought that she was asleep for like an hour and was pissed at her crew. Yeah. But (laughs) felt totally refreshed after a literally, you know, closing her eyes for 60 seconds. That's not. Like is that your experience <laughs> or no? Like how do you train right. for this or like what is the do you do you try to do this in your training? Yeah, at, yeah, this regard? year I
0: did like cuz uh last year that that really impacted me not getting enough sleep. So this year what I did is like uh during my lunch at school, I would take a 5 minute nap every day. Uh-huh. So I'd just go into the like have this bigger closet. I just lay down on a yoga mat and literally f- try to sleep for five minutes. So I got to a point where I was uh two or three days of the five-day week, I would fall asleep for mm-hmm. for like three minutes, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. But in the midst of the race, there's a lot of things happening. One, your heart rate gets elevated. Two, after the second day, you're you're probably drinking some caffeinated drinks. So you're trying to play like an edge where you're 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 trying to stay awake on your, your out and backs on the second and third night by drinking caffeinated drinks but on the other hand you want to fall asleep uh-huh. and, and so it's like a tough <laughs> like uh dilemma there right and uh it's it, yeah so I just uh i'm not really sure like because the way your mind works I, i'm not really sure if i was at sometimes i would i would drop into like some uh level of sleep but i just felt like my my mind was continuously running so mm-hmm. i would like be somewhat con- more conscientious. And you're always waiting to listen for lads blowing the whistle. Right. Like at, at three minutes, he blows the whistle three times and then two minutes, one minute. And so you're. you're I have a really great, amazing crew chief, uh, Judd Poindexter. And uh, so I, I was able to rely on him and I knew he would wake me up, but you still have like this, this anticipation that, oh, I gotta get up and get going. I've gotta like have everything organized. And it, there's a lot of temperature variation too. Like at nighttime, it gets cold, and the daytime is warm. Mm-hmm. And your body, it after like 200 miles, it it doesn't uh, it do as well. You like can't with self-regulate. The heat. Yeah. yeah, you can't regulate the temperature as well. So it ends up being it's a wild experience, just pushing your body. Because that, that's what is special about this race is it really gives everyone the opportunity mm-hmm. to explore their limits. And the other thing is that it's it's really a pretty interesting race to watch. Like, uh, you know, in a lot of ultras, you might have an idea of like the top two or three runners based on like the front field of a race. You know, if you're watching like uh, Western States mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, maybe one of those runners might drop out, but you kind of have an idea of who might be the top three or four. In this backyard ultra, everyone finishes the loop in a uh-huh. tied position. right so I mean, going into the second day, you have no idea who's going to be the final yeah, runner. That's really interesting. It's like there's so much competition, you have no idea that it's a who's poker feeling match. good or yeah, who's you have not no idea what, four miles. Yeah, no idea what cards the other runners are, are carrying.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's like a poker game as a total poker match, but it yeah. ends up going off a cliff and becoming like Squid Game
0: yeah, <laughs> at the, the right, end, right,
1: right? right? When people start dropping off and like right. the guy, the second place guy, Chris Roberts, he got, I mean, he literally was with you until the last loop, but yeah. because he started a loop and didn't finish, it's a DNF. Like he doesn't even get second place. Yeah. Which it's, is like it's super brutal. harsh. It's
0: brutal. Right? It's hard, it's Laz, uh, Laz he, he is hilarious. But Laz always has some like element, to mess with runners. Uh And so technically everyone that doesn't finish as a final runner
1: is a DNF. So Uh, even if he finished if he finished the loop and didn't start another one, would he get second, or just everybody DNFs except the person who wins?
0: Everyone DNFs except <laughs> <laughs> the person wins. Yeah. There is no second place. Yeah, there's less, just, less there's the that. last person and that's it. Exactly. Oh so my God. if you're trying to keep your DNFs down, it might not be the best uh-huh. format. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Oh,
1: that's so funny. Well, I mean. Lazarus Lake. I mean, this guy is like an all-time world-class character. He
0: is. He is on uh, such a high level of that. Like his, his philosophy is is just it's so interesting to even spend time with him, just because everything he says is so philosophical. Mm. And I mean, I love how the race is actually named after his his dog, his dog, right? Biggs. Yeah. And now he has a little dog. Little has a, a race as well named after him. And uh, I mean, Laz, he he is just uh, he he's. You think maybe from the outside that he's extremely masochistic or maybe he's got some sort of like vendetta like to, to really be cruel to runners, but he does get some, some humor out of things. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, he really is interested in seeing, uh, he loves watching people work through those extreme challenges. And he gets inspired by that.
1: Where does that come from?
0: I mean, he's not a runner himself. Yeah, right? he, he is actually going back into the day. So mm. back in the uh, 60s and 70s, you know, he was a big runner in Tennessee. And it's interesting because his dad was actually a NASA scientist. Mm. And he actually uh, worked on uh, the, uh, uh, lunar module uh, coming off the moon. Wow! So uh, he's a really brilliant guy and he he has a ton of interesting history on his back. Um, But he's kind of taken that, uh, he's very particular about organization too. Like if you had talked to his wife, Sandra, like it's Mm. so funny, he's got a certain way that every flag has to be rolled out. You know, everything has to be just perfect. And I mean we're not even talking about Barkley yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know I know. I'm we're like, getting there. Yeah. So he he is definitely, I admire him. I really do admire him for what he has uh done uh you know with the sport. Uh and uh you know, he's captivated people in so many ways that we can't even begin to describe. Yeah, I mean he's know? sort
1: of single-handedly like created a whole new genre of running. It's exploded with the unfinishable yeah. Barkley. Barkley marathons and this whole backyard format, which he didn't invent it, right? But he sort of made it a thing here, at least in the United States.
0: Yeah, he he actually invented the backyard. Yeah, he He invented that. Yeah, so it's now spread to over 62 countries and they have, I mean, hundreds of events. There's uh, over 13,000 people have participated Mm -hmm. already. And I mean, it's really exploded in just the last five years. Last four years, it's just just it just grown yeah. by, by madness. I
1: mean, the format makes it really fun. There's a gamesmanship to it. And I suspect from a race organ, organizer point of view, it's a lot easier to conduct than, you know, a race that's traversing like a huge swath of land in a point to point kind of way. It's true, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It, it surprises me at times though, because I'm like, I'll follow their Facebook page and I'll see like posts from Pakistan or Morocco and I see Uh like all these places where they're like formulating this race and it's exciting to see that, I love
1: that. It's also less intimidating if you're trying to dip your toe in the ultra world because you can just go and run four mile loops until you're done. It's not like, oh, I have to do a hundred miles or anything like that. You can just show up and do what you can. So it feels like a little bit more welcoming.
0: Yeah, 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 it, it, it is very much welcoming. And it's it's nice because especially the first day there's a lot of camaraderie, right? So you mean it's it's just like a big party. You get to like hang out and share stories. You know, uh, it's just uh, it's just a, like a party on you know in the wilderness and it's just moving around. I mean, it's it's fantastic.
1: Well, it's a party until it's not. I mean, <laughs> until, you ran three hundred and fifty four point one six six seven. That's how specific this is. <laughs> Miles. Uh, which is 85, they call them yards, right? Each four right. each four plus mile loop uh in eighty-five hours. Like I just yeah. I can't even wrap my head around that. And it's so much further beyond anything that you had done um in that format or even outside of that format. Yeah. Like it's a whole new threshold of experience for you. Yeah,
0: it's it's wild. Uh during the race, I actually you know, I went through a low part uh around like mile, I think about 140 or 170 rather. Uh-huh. And uh it's incredible because uh, I mean I was had I had like the the uh battle inside my mind, like the side that was not one to submit at all, but I had like a little bit creeping in that I thought of like, well, it would be nice to like, you know, just go relax in a hotel mm-hmm. and they'll put my feet up and like how long is this thing gonna go for? So And you're only and halfway in. Only, and I I mean, didn't you don't know that, know that, at that you're that time. you don't know that's I the thing, no you idea. don't know how long right. it's gonna go. I had no idea at that time. And so to get through that dark place, I like share with my crew chief. And I mean having a strong crew chief is really important in mm-hmm. this race. And I just like when I got back to the tent, I made sure no one else was nearby. And I just said real quietly to Judd, I said, Hey, I'm I'm struggling through this a bit right now. And uh, he came up with a good idea. He's like, just visualize that you're running back and forth to work. Cause I, I run That's commute to do. work. Yeah. And so like, that was incredible because at that point I was really able to just go beyond it and then just focus on each loop and just imagine I was running back and forth
1: to work. Mm-hmm. It was
0: so easy at that point.
1: Which is kind uh, of about the same distance, right? Three it's or four about, miles.
0: Yeah, it's about the same distance. So it's incredible how just changing your mindset in like, can make such an impact, and I really didn't go through any other. I mean, I went through; it was tough, and then in the fourth day, but I didn't go through a point that was like as mentally like where I was in a dark place like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then reframing it through that shift in perspective, like gave you this boost that carried you for another 170.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, I know definitely. you had
1: a crazy moment at 300, right? Right,
0: right. That's a whole nother. yeah.
1: Well, let's sp- talk about that
0: topic. So. Yeah, so basically, once we got into that third night and uh, it kind of becomes like automatic and you're just like, you, you get yourself back to the tent, you're laying down for five minutes, you're eating as much as humanly possible and you're just lining up at the line again. And you're wondering like,
1: how long are these people going to go for right but and you're it's a poker game, you can't play your hand, right? you, you can't can. let anyone know that no you're way. feeling down
0: oh no, 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 uh-huh. like that would be destruction, yeah, so I mean <laughs> it's like yeah, so then you just you just keep on playing it out, and um you know during the third night, there was something that kind of hit me, I think it just I got very automatic with it, and uh I felt. Pretty strong. Like I was just like dialed in that I was back to my game plan. That okay, I'm gonna go as long as this thing carries, mm-hmm. however long that might be. And uh, you know, the, the Chris Roberts at that time was actually really, really struggling. Uh, the Japanese runner, runner Mori Mori, he was looking strong, mm-hmm. um, but Chris Roberts, in, in the last three loops of the night on the third night he got to a point where he's actually running sideways. Like he was actually hip, sc- like skipping sideways. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I'm, I, was, I was really impressed by that. I'm like, "Man, this guy is staying in here because I was pretty sure he was gonna like tag out. He's got like three minutes left on his loop. And he's mm-hmm. like, he is so serious to the point where he's willing to skip sideways to Get himself down to the which is not easy to do, uh huh. Yeah, he never so he literally he
1: pivoted his he pivoted body because his, body his knee went, was hurt, right? Wow. And he
0: literally skipped sideways. Uh-huh. I mean, I was like, You're running sideways after like <laughs> 200 and some miles, these guys are never gonna give up either, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? So I said something, Laz. I'm like, Laz, you know, none of the three of us are gonna submit. I said that, like, I think somewhere after like 300 miles, I'm like. It's just not gonna happen. He's like, <laughs> it's gonna happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: one way or another, right? Right, right. So the year prior, when you were going tete-a-tete with Courtney, you you pooped out at 240 or something like that? Two, 270. 277, uh-huh. yeah,
0: 277 So 281.
1: When you came up on that kind of mile marker this time, what do you think, like, how were you able to get to a different gear? Like, did you do something different in training? Is it experience? Yeah. Like what changed? Uh, well, you know, I thought back to 2017
0: because that's when uh, Guillaume and I, uh, the French runner, we, we both uh, were running, uh, we ran like an additional day uh, beyond everyone else. And we uh, end up going to 241 and I, I submitted at 241. I was the assist that year. And I thought about Laz back then, he said, he had, he had this big thing about saying, okay, I think you guys are gonna, someone's gonna make it to 300 miles. And like that year in 2017, it was the first year I did it. And so this idea of 300, it kind of got in my head and I'm like, well, shoot, we're gonna get to 300 and neither of us are gonna wanna quit either. I gotta uh-huh. get back to teaching. And it just became this <laughs> like number that was like out there. And then uh-huh. last year with Courtney, I told Laz somewhere before, I think, three laps before I stopped. I'm like, Laz, we've got this. We're gonna beat a 300. There's no way we're stopping. And then sure enough, three laps later, my mind like wouldn't, it gave up. Like, so I felt at this race, I really didn't wanna like give up mentally. Like if I was gonna like uh, be, be out, it was gonna be based on me not making it back in time. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't. It, every other time I, I did this, when I submitted, it was because my mind, I had given up. It wasn't because I timed out. And so this race, I wanted, if I if I didn't, if I was gonna go out, it was gonna be based on not making it back in the 60 minutes, right. not based uh, on like, oh, I don't think I can go any further. You know, because last year with Courtney, you know, I, I thought it was, an, it was really amazing running with her number one. Like we were a, in a dynamic where we were supportive of each other, sure. which was really special. I mean, like, we both have a history with the 24 hour USA team, but like to work with somebody, it it makes it like just an amazing experience where you're like working for something greater. And it's like, uh, so yeah, last year, I just got to this place where I was, uh, in my mind, I didn't think I could, I thought I was losing time on the laps and I didn't think I could make it many more laps. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, okay, I started to like hallucinate a bit more and I said, okay, this is, um, I think this is it. Uh, and so I gave up. Uh, so this year I've really trained my mind more to to not submit. Like it's gonna if i if I go out, it's gonna be physical, not- And messy. what does
1: that training look like? Like, is, it, is there a specific yeah. program or method to this? Yeah, the, madness. Me-
0: the method to the madness. <laughs> well, part helped that I did a backyard ultra in March mm-hmm. where I actually was the final person standing. And that was the first time I did that. And so we did that in the Ohio Backyard Ultra. It went to about two hundred forty some miles. So that that helped to have that victory on my back to to understand what it's like to be the final person. And then leading up to this year, I did two races. I did well, I did Badwater, which helped. Always right, helps. Which little, you won. Little, little Badwater. And then I did the uh, Fans Twenty Four Hour Race uh, seven weeks out, and the. Uh, I did the superior 100 race five weeks out. So, doing a road race and then <laughs> a trail race with 20,000 feet, uh-huh. like five weeks out, it, it helped, you know, including both dynamics, um, but also conversation with my crew chief. Yeah, you know, like we had, we had it dialed down mm. in terms of what we wanted to do. I think that helps a lot. What, is,
1: what are the, the, the characteristics or qualities that you look for, like what makes a great crew chief a great crew chief, because I think people yeah. um, really underestimate how crucial you know those people are who are supporting you, and yeah. you know many of us have had experiences like we get our friends to do it, or, or you know i've had my wife do it and my stepsons and, and it's great, you know, but they're not like dialed in as crew people, and when shit's gone off the rails. Like you want someone there who really understands what you're going through and can make sure that you're getting what you need. Yeah, I
0: think it's so important. With uh, the crew, it's number one is a positive mindset. Like no matter what happens, they're going to have a mindset that's positive. So there could be crazy, crazy things happening and, and all, anything you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And no matter what that is, their mind is gonna be positive and they're gonna be looking through uh, problem solving. So, problem solving is great. Having someone that is uh, loyal and has your, you know, they, that's huge, uh, that you feel comfortable with. So, mm-hmm. it's like uh, they don't have to be an amazing runner at all, at, at all, not at all. It's more important that they are, Flexible, like they're they're willing to like uh, they're excited about. It. It's mm-hmm. also important to have someone's excited. I mean, you don't want to have someone come out there. It's like, oh my god, yeah, here for like. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, I mean, that's a yeah. long time. Well, there's, I mean, there, hours you know, there's legendary
1: time. stories about you right. know people bailing in the middle of ram and all that kind of stuff, right. right? Like, wow, this is way more work than I thought. Like, yeah, and the crews fighting and they're not getting along and the whole thing just craters.
0: Yeah, it's it's important. So uh, I I try to build the crew. Uh, months and months before the actual event. And I don't have crew for all my races, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but like on my A races, I, I definitely try to build that prior to going. So like Badwater, for example, is is a fun race for the cr- crew component. Cause you have the crew that is gonna basically follow you the whole 135 miles. And it's, it's so important to have a group that gets along together, mm-hmm. but also people that bring different dynamics. To the, to the team. So someone uh, might be the person that does a lot of the miles, but you need someone who's extremely good at like logistics and organizing, you know, that's really important. And uh, you'll know, think outside the box. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, the crew is, is really important in a lot of these ultras for yeah, sure.
1: They gotta be five steps ahead they at do. all times. Do you like, like for example, with Badwater, do you like it when someone's running with you all the time, or do you like them to kind of bump and run, or what's your what's your yeah. kind of mode
0: so for bad water, I definitely like
1: having someone run with
0: me It's like after mile forty two now you can have someone run with you all the way to the finish mm-hmm. and I like rotating it because after a while uh, you know I always want someone fresh, so I kind of feel like I take on their energy force so if I get someone new in it's like I kind of feel their energy even though I'm running in front of them and it's not like Pacing in the traditional sense, they're running behind you. It's like I feel their energy force, and it's like it helps me to go faster. Mm-hmm. So I like having a rotation. I love having someone with me uh, in bad water. It, it, it's just, you know, sometimes we're not even speaking. You know, it's just being out there and mm-hmm. running like a team. It's like we're wild animals, yeah. you know, migrating across the plains. And uh, that's huge, it's a huge impact.
1: So you're at mile three hundred of Bigs. Like I got to hear about this like hallucinatory Nirvana moment that you had.
0: Yeah. So the th- this year I would just say like uh, it, it was kind of crazy because you know uh, you go through these lows and highs, but going into three hundred, it just felt like we were invincible, almost. Like in uh, Mori Mori, the Japanese runner, mm-hmm. he he just was fired up, we were both fired up. So once we got past 300, we started doing crazy things. And like uh, some of it was like strategic on my part, trying to like wear him down a little bit. Um, But some of it was just like impassioned, like just feeling like fired up and like, let's just go. Uh Yeah. So. We started doing things that you probably shouldn't do after 300 miles. Like we started running up the hill, like that we've been walking up since day one. And then we started sprinting through the camp and like getting everyone fired up, like just kind of ridiculous things. And sometimes we just like start running super fast through the woods in places we probably shouldn't where you'd like crashed. Uh (laughs) So uh, it was, and we just, sometimes we'd be hollering, like we just start yelling like not, not in like aggressive way towards each other, but just because we were fired up yeah. and like excited about it. Like, so it was, it was wild uh, to hit that, that mark and then feel all kinds of new energy. Like, I mean, I felt in sometimes more energy than I felt the whole race at like loop two.
1: Right, like you I just go into energy. some crazy gear yeah, was, that you didn't even know that you had.
0: Not even know that you had, like that was what was so special about it. Cause you, you get beyond 300 miles and then you realize, wow, there's these like, like you have more force than you ever had even in the first day. You're like, where does this come from? Yeah, like where just, does it
1: come from? I mean, what do yeah, you make of that? It was like, wild. for somebody I mean, who's pushing the envelope to such an extreme and has been doing this for so long, you'd think you kind of know at this point, like where yeah. that limit sits. And yet right. you have this huge, I mean, it wasn't like you went four miles longer than you did last year. Like you just exploded the ceiling on probably what you, I mean, 300 being the mark, and then you go so much further past that.
0: And I really didn't think Chris was gonna even submit it like when he did at 350, mm-hmm. four or 350. Like I thought, actually I thought, we're definitely going through the whole night here. Because we, yeah, it's just pretty much once you, the road is easier. So as long as you can overcome the sleep deprivation, you don't have like a serious injury, you can usually just make that that out and back uh-huh. in the time. Uh, and so we are making it with plenty of time. Uh, if it weren't for his
1: knee injury, I think we would have gone a lot further. Right. Too. And once. He submitted, are you allowed to keep going or no, that's, you, that's it? It's, it's, no, it's like right. the,
0: the ethics or race. Yeah. So you only go one more loop.
1: Right, so even if you, do you feel like you could have kept going?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, I was definitely dialed in for the remainder of that night and that wow. would have been challenging. Going back on the loop course in the, the fifth day would have been interesting because I don't know how I would have adapted. Yeah. But then again, you never know and nothing's guaranteed. Right. Right. So, I mean, something can change. Uh, it can change fast, and so you're always trying to just focus on that loop in front of you, right? Just one loop at a time.
1: That's and it. you took a. If people are watching on YouTube, they see the brace on on your right hand. I mean, you took this spill, right? Yes. You fractured your hand, but you yes. couldn't let any. You couldn't like, no. evince any outward facing pain, right? You didn't no, want to. <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no, no way, no yeah. way,
1: not until the finish. You can't I, telegraph I, I shook any weakness. Hand and I was
0: like, oh, that's not good, mm. <laughs> but. Yeah, one thing I do actually in races, uh, I don't know how unique it is, but I always like in my A races, I always take on like a spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And so for this race, uh, my my spirit animal was a honey badger. And right. so I watched that video, it has 4 million views. <laughs> yeah. And I was serious about it. When I was going into the race, I was like, I'm a honey badger. So it doesn't matter what happens, I'm gonna still run. Right. So, you know, the fourth day, a honey badger fall down on the rocks. Doesn't matter. You just right. get up, keep on running. Yeah, at that that point, the fourth day, actually, I got to a place where I was. It, w- it was tough. Like the fourth day is hard. Like last didn't really expect people to do that, and it's the you got. Uh, it's it warms up. I mean, it's not like really hot, mm-hmm. but I mean, even like seventy degrees after you've been running for you know three plus days, it just uh, takes more energy. And yeah, I got a little bit dehydrated. Uh, doing the running with Maury. Maury just doing that crazy running probably didn't help things either. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Roberts was sitting back thinking, man, you guys are gonna kill each other. Yeah. And like, I'm fine with this. But, but Maury gonna... like passed out, right? He went yeah. unconscious. Unfortunately, yeah, he actually literally fell like uh, in, his, in close to, I think it was uh, maybe 346 miles. He literally fell and knocked himself out like for, like twenty seconds or mm-hmm. something, but it was enough to just put him over the edge. Yeah, he didn't make it back. He missed a cutoff by maybe a minute or two. Uh, so, yeah, it it it's it's kind of a crazy race. It, yeah. it definitely is a crazy race, uh, but it's exciting because of uh, just the, all all the different aspects of it. There, there's a lot of psychology in the race, as well as the physiology,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, yeah, I was surprised. Like honestly, I didn't feel anything in my hand. Like it, I knew I did it because when I fell, I had no energy. Usually, I fall. I felt the first day. I fell like three times. Mm-hmm. I don't think I fell the second day at all. But I literally fell enough. It'd be easy spots, like where I was like just looking off or talking to someone. But when I fell, I had zero energy to catch myself or to roll, and I just came right down on the the hand. I knew uh, right away I did yeah. something to it. But I was like. Well, it's it's not like essential, you right. know. I can keep gonna, on we can deal with that later. I checked my knee; knee was fine, no problem. Just mm-hmm. keep on going.
1: Right, it's sort of like that Roger Bannister thing of breaking the four-minute mile. Right, like once somebody, once he does it, then all kinds of people do it. People have struggled to eclipse the three-hundred-mile mark. There is that. I mean, you broke the world record that was set on an easier course in the UK, right? That was three hundred. I don't know, 20 or something like that. Yeah, John Stocker had said that in the UK. So it's not like no one had ever gone over 300 before, but here you have three guys who are all competing against each other, but also supporting each other to kind of break that ceiling. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Like, oh, that's possible, like, okay. Are we going for 400? Is that what's right. happening now? Like, right. you know, yeah. who knows? It's absolutely true. Like, mm. I
0: don't think the record's gonna stay there that long. Yeah. Uh, the, the rate, what is special about it is that it did happen on Laz's backyard and his, his event, it is tougher. Like it's, it's got more technical elements right. to the course. There's more like elevation climb, but there's a lot of variety. Like they've now done these backyards in like Mexico where they have like a thousand feet per mm-hmm. lap, you wow. know, so I mean, it's like nuts. Uh There's a lot of variety, but this was a tougher course to set that record on. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. Like Does, it's gonna be like crazy. Like where yeah. where is it gonna go? I and, mean, and, have
1: they done one on a track just to see uh, how far you could do nah, Like what it like creating the optimal conditions for like a crazy record. They, I don't know about it's track. Kind of not yeah. really it's not really in the spirit, really, of, yeah, it's of, not the the spirit of it. Yeah. It'd be better
0: to have it like in incorporate like mm-hmm. trails as well yeah. as the road. Mixing
1: yeah. the, the, the flip-flop between trail and road, did, did you find that helpful? Because you got a little variety. I mean, mentally, I would think it would be good.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's wild because uh, you, you get to a place where you get tired of one and uh-huh. you're like, oh God, I you can't wait till I get back to the road. To go. Yeah, yeah, so when you got like mm-hmm. two or three loops to go, you're like, oh my God, two more loops and I'll be back on the road, I can survive forever. Mm-hmm. And then when you get back on the road and you're like out there for, like nine hours in the dark. And we had an amazing full moon. I mean, there was coyotes like howling. It was really special, like nighttime. But nevertheless, after nine or 10 hours of you're out there by yourself. Like, I, I wasn't running with Mori, Mori or Chris, we we're just out and back. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of time to, to yourself, to have thoughts uh, yeah. within yourself and it it definitely you you're you're so thankful when you get back to the to the trail you're right. like oh thank god back can to the trail
1: can you put anything in the ears or yeah. do you have to go do you do you listen to stuff or you're,
0: yeah you can listen to music on the the road portion and i find that very helpful uh laz doesn't allow it on the trail you uh-huh. know like unless it's like the final two runners final two three runners then he doesn't really mind mm. but he doesn't want to have it on the trail when there's like many people out right. there you can have like, uh, you got past people and stuff like that on a little single track. Mm-hmm. So the music is really powerful because it kind of, uh, if I am feeling discomfort, it numbs that. Yeah. So I don't take any painkillers uh, like ever. Like, I mean, I haven't taken any since, like I, I broke my neck back in 2004. And uh, when I'm in the, yeah, so, Having a music actually helps me to put my mind somewhere else. If I am feeling like just total fatigue or discomfort, just listening to music is like, sure. it's really nice to have it on the
1: nighttime. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health from fermented food to fiber and everything in between including of course the importance of supplementing with a probiotic and the one that i have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is seeds dso1 daily symbiotic it's the most solid science-based and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16 year old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer that's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. What is the nutrition strategy like? Like how are you keeping calories down after all that time out there? Like what's the fueling like?
0: Well, you just have to uh, look at it as like, this is all you can eat buffet and be so thankful that you can eat all the food in the world. But it's really important to eat like uh, probably 500 calories, 400, 500 calories an hour. That's a lot, It's a lot lot to keep down. Yeah, it is. And that's actually where the plant-based foods really helps out. Uh, because I feel like I'm able to digest a lot of food, like a ton of food and drinks mm-hmm. uh, without having, like I, I very, very rarely have any sort
1: of like uh, upset stomach mm-hmm. in races, it's like extremely rare. So what's the combination of kind of performance nutrition, like the you know, high calorie drinks versus real food and what does the real food look like? Right, so
0: I would drink Tailwind, uh-huh. but I also had diversity. So I would have like, uh, I'd have like soda as well. I had like coconut water, which was really nice. Uh, and then I'd have like things like from fruit, like watermelon, mm-hmm. blueberries, to uh, squeezable fruits, uh, to soups and like vegan mac and cheese. I'd have like, uh, um, I mean, Judd was actually really good about making up food. That's another thing yeah. about your crew chief. Like with this race, you're only allowed one crew chief or one person as crew. So it's really important to have someone who is able to make up food for you that knows a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, he's not vegan, but mm-hmm. he's really good. I mean, he he makes, he, he oftentimes makes me special, like things and brings it to the race. Right. I'm like, man,
1: thank you so much. <laughs> so, but, the, you're not getting 500 calories an hour on fruit. That's no, coming through tailwind no, no, yeah. and through mac and cheese yeah. and stuff like and that. And
0: also like Abe's muffins from Whole Foods. I grabbed a bunch of those. Right. I mean, those are like, actually, believe it or not, it's like. Four hundred calories or some three hundred uh-huh. calories per little like muffin. So I'm mean, I out and chips. Uh, so I mean guacamole. And uh, I'm eating a lot of things that aren't like healthy to eat on a daily basis. You know, like just high calorie items. And I'm not really looking too much at like you know my protein content. It's more like uh, want to get complex carbohydrates yeah. rather than just simple sugars. Like I definitely am getting a ton of simple sugars. Uh, but I'm also getting complex carbohydrates mm-hmm. too. So, I mean, everything like pastas, soups, things that are easy to digest. Like I'd have like uh, like mashed potatoes and vegetable broth mm-hmm. mixed together. And that was really easy to to digest. And especially if it's hot out, like then you wanna think about things that are, that are easier to digest. Then right. at nighttime I could eat like the heartier items. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, no stomach upset. No stomach That's upset. Amazing. Yeah,
0: it's wild. You th- that that it,
1: gets the best of them. Yeah, it's, you know? it's
0: huge. It's like the, the ultra, like ultra has maybe, you know, there's like 10 or 12 major components I can think of that are really important elements to a race, like pacing, pacing is huge. Uh, but nutrition is definitely one of the top ones. And like being able to just eat a, like a, a, a bean burrito and then just take off, Like that's a huge advantage Yeah, to be able to digest that while you're moving and running. It's a big advantage. Yeah,
1: But also ultras are famous for like, oh, I'm just gonna eat pizza and like, you know, all kinds of candy and crap and stuff like that because I'm burning all these calories out there. And then people, you know, start barfing and having the runs and all kinds of stuff happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's where not having the dairy in there really helps a lot too. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, it's, I I can name it like maybe three or four times in the last five years where I've actually gotten sick in ultra, that's it. Like literally like three or four times. And usually I can explain
1: what happened in each of those instances. Have you, uh, I have to ask you, have you talked to Courtney about this? Uh this she has one? her nor noot- oh. she's sort of no- notorious oh. for like oh, her the nachos her, and cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, all the yeah. stuff yeah. that she eats. Right, right, right. And you know, she occasionally has like a stomach issue in her races, right? Yeah. And like there's Harvey's yeah. right well, over there. I,
0: I love Courtney, so I mean I'm like very respectful <laughs> about Of course. What, what, yeah, I don't yeah, I'm yeah. not taking anybody's yeah, yeah. inventory
1: no, no, on this. No, no, like no. she's in a yeah. on a different planet. Yeah, she so is, it's like knock yourself
0: out, Courtney. Whatever
1: works for you. Exactly.
0: So only
1: love. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Usually uh I Yeah, I I usually am kind of careful about how I, how I like. If someone asks me, then I'll share. Mm -hmm. But I don't usually like uh, like. I I mean, once in a while, I I do. But um, you know, we do share ideas a lot of times. Like on the 24-hour team, you know, we'll have something that works really well, and like the other runners will pick up on it. You know, so um, I I imagine I'd love to collaborate with her more in the future. Uh You know, I mean. Um, but I haven't really said a whole lot to her about. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, no, I, I get you it. With her yeah, completely. She's so. Like, I wouldn't either. Yeah, you no. Know, I she's would, got her yeah. like nachos and cheese that she loves. Right, and, and if that's working yeah, for her, awesome. Right.
1: You know. Yeah. So, t- let's maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of d- dive a little bit deeper into the whole vegan thing. I mean, you've been, you went. 100% plant-based in like 2016. Yes. And yes. so talk me through like what that was about and why you made that switch and what you were doing beforehand.
0: Right, so going back in time, I've I've actually been vegetarian since uh, 25 years ago when I first picked up ultras at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was just a, a revolution in my life. Like uh, just because I, I felt a transition just overnight, like just like, uh, I went from being like Chunk and Goonies, like mm-hmm. uh, the, the the chubby kid growing up and uh, not being like uh, one of the top runners at all. In fact, I was usually one of the the, the, final, the last runners to finish races. And so- Yeah, I think it took you, like you, it,
1: you've said, like it took you years and years and years to break five hours in the marathon. Yeah, it took me five years
0: to actually break five hours mm-hmm. in the marathon. Now, I did get started young, like at, at right. 15, but- you know, it's kind of, it's amazing for me mentally, just to think about the, the like chiseling through the little wall, you know, like the of Monte Cristo, just all
1: the little walls I had to chisel through to get here. I mean, you've been chiseling yeah. for a long time. I mean, long yeah, time. it's like yeah. you yeah. are like the ultimate, like Harvard business school test case in like persistence and consistency, Yeah, you know, yeah, 25 years you, of relentless. I mean, you've, you really haven't taken a break, right? Like you've just no. been doing this, full speed, I mean, you have a full-time career and we'll talk about yeah. that, but you know, this has been your life for a very long time, which is why I kind of opened it with the question of like, how are you having this break? You would think like you plateau right. and it would just kind of balance out. And you're like, okay, this is where I sit in the pecking order of things, especially in the ultra world where it's kind of notorious, particularly with men, where the elite level of their performance seems to have a pretty short shelf life, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. see people who burst onto the scene, they win everything for a period of two or three years or four years or something like that, and then really struggle to kind of match those results. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been incredible. Like it's been an incredible year, but uh, there's a few things that happen in, in my formula. And one is always keeping it fun so like i I just love what it what it is like i I really genuinely love running ultras, and I love the adventure, I love the meeting the people i mean the opportunities I've had like coming you here you today is incredible cool like i mean it's been incredible, so I love the the spirit of what it is. Uh, so keeping it fun is really important. Like And then listening to your body. So I, I think that's a really key component. So I don't have, I, I'm flexible. Like I, I know like coming off of bigs, now I'm getting ready for Barkley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have like a, a coach. I don't have like a set program, which is interesting comparable to Courtney. Like she'll mm-hmm. tell you too, she doesn't have like a set routine of like what right. she's doing is based like, We're very similar on that domain because I'll just go out and run. Like this morning I went out and ran, I didn't have any measure of how far I was gonna go. It just depended on how I felt. And so like listening to your body and going by that, while you have like goals for each week or each month, it really helps you to be flexible. So being flexible and listening to your body Mm -hmm. and uh, also different specializations. So I, I like getting out and running like a 5K. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna likely right. win that race. You know, I'm, sometimes I might in a local race, but I'm, I'm likely to finish like 10th or 12th or who knows what. It doesn't matter because I'm pushing myself in that area. So not getting caught up into, I have to do only this particular type of thing, you know, getting into swimming, you're doing whatever it mm-hmm. is. Like being able to diversify is super powerful as well. Because if, if you're able to run a 5K better or you're able to get out there and swim a mile, that's gonna make you stronger when you come back to the event you really excel in. Mm -hmm. And that'll make you stronger in the event you excel in.
1: Yeah, you're pretty diverse in terms of distances and terrain. I mean, you're a 245 marathoner, right? Yeah. And you can throw down for a 10K all the way up. I mean, usually the people who are excelling at the super long stuff, that's the thing they do, They're yeah not, I mean there's exceptions to that, I mean, like Jim Walmsley is like yeah, exactly. rewriting the record right. book on, right. on what's possible in that regard, but you are really you know kind of resilient and capable across you know a multitude of specific disciplines within running,
0: yeah, it's uh it's. It's a, you know I think going back some time I think people kind of had me pegged as like a road runner yeah uh-huh. you know, like they thought oh Harvey does bad water he does a twenty four hour team yeah you know, he's not like a, an ultra uh, trail runner but I actually really love both yeah you know, and like Bigs gave me on MTs show yeah. show that that I love I love trails as well it's just uh, people maybe assume because I I live in Ohio you know it's like we right. don't have like the the big mountain trails that you have like in
1: the Rockies or out in the Sierras. And you haven't and, done uh, Western States or UTMB. Yeah, those yes, are the two things right, that kind of right, stand right. out like where's Harvey? I know, it's kind of wild.
0: Like yeah. uh, UTMB, I've been out there twice, like with uh, other people I've taken out and just run the, the loop and it's beautiful. And I, I, I'd love to run both those races, of course. And uh, Western States is just like, that's so tough to to get in the lottery. So actually this year was the first year I applied Really? Yeah, I did actually like, uh, so I'm thinking maybe, you know, maybe about 10 years from now, I'll get in. <laughs> we'll see, <laughs> I think, yeah, we'll see. I think
1: you'll probably find a way to get into that race uh, soon rather than later. We'll, we'll see. But yeah. the original question that I, we got sidetracked here was, was kind of exploring the, the plant-based you know, pivot you were talking about um, going vegetarian earlier in life. I mean, that was, it feels like that was more of an ethical compulsion at the time?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was actually. Uh, it was it was kind of a storm that hit me, like because my mom had a stroke uh, in 1995. And uh, that, I, I just kind of had a reflection on like what we had been doing growing up. I mean, mm. my mom was a nurse. She was only like 54 at the time. Oh, she wow. survived, but it was catastrophic. Like, I mean, mm. she lost uh, movement on her one side and she also lost uh, speech. So, I mean, her speech is, uh, really impacted. Mm. I mean, fortunately she is still alive and she, she's living independently. And I mean, she's amazing like for for having that endurance through those difficulties of not being able to speak, but knowing what she wants to say, you know, and, and surviving all those years. Wow. But that that really made me reflect on like what I was doing, uh, you know, in, o, in Ohio. I mean, what was I eating in Ohio? Like what I grew up eating that I thought was like the healthy thing to, to, to do. And also I had like going back to when I was, I guess maybe a junior in high school, I had like this sort of epiphany that, I, I did make this connection. I was like going through, I think McDonald's and I was thinking about like, just uh, you know, where the food actually comes from. And I think I, you know, we're really disconnected we're from our, our, uh, where the food comes from. And I was thinking about soldering and all that. And I just really didn't wanna be part of it, but it only lasted for like a day. Or maybe mm-hmm. even like half a day. And I just didn't know where to go with that. Like, I had no, no one was vegetarian in my school mm-hmm. uh, that I was aware of. And uh, there was no options at the line, like the lunch, the lunch line. So I was like, where do I go with this? So I had that original thought, but I didn't have any legs of run with it. And then when I was uh, a sophomore in college, you know, after my mom had the stroke that summer, I, I finally said, you know, I need to like actually make uh you know in an effort to like research this and mm-hmm. find out, and that 's when I started like transitioning. I just went over to eating vegetarian and uh so yeah it, it's uh the last five years I finally came to, in two thousand and sixteen i 've been wanting to do it for a long time, but I thought what am i doing why why do i still like why am I still avoiding this like mm-hmm. what is it? And it was out of convenience. Like I thought it was going to be an, an inconvenience for other people, for me to go vegan, or maybe it would be difficult with my like travels. I love to travel around the world. Maybe that would affect me. Um, but uh, basically, I thought, you know, this is I've I've i want to do this. I've got to do it. And I just said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set this. And and then after like literally like. I think maybe 10 days. I was like, what? Why did I not do this like Uh years ago? Like, it's so easy. And I didn't feel feel a difference. I don't know that I felt like um, in 10 days, like an incredible change, because I already felt pretty good Mm -hmm. um, with eating vegetarian. But definitely within a matter of months, like I noticed like changes, like just, uh, I would say, my performances, like I had my fastest marathon ever, like uh, in 2018. Uh, yeah, so right. that was my fastest marathon ever, uh, and I like noticed that I was getting faster after that case.
1: Right. Yeah. So you attribute? I mean, I, I this is attributable to just improved recovery, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that the biggest get, thing. Yeah. Right. Thanks. So what I found is that my Speed of recovery is ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, like, for example, I did that 24 uh, hour fans race seven weeks before Biggs. 13 days later, I did the, and I, I end up, it ended up being a 19 hour race because we had like this crazy lightning storm. But I ran, I think, over 120 miles in, in 19 hours. And then 13 days later, I did the Superior 100 with like 20,000 feet of climbing. So it's like, <laughs> Is it's kind of crazy. <laughs> what is but, your like monthly mileage? Uh, it's not nuts. Like, honestly, oh come I, on! I, no, I really, truly, I end up averaging like a hundred miles uh, a week,
1: uh-huh. roughly. But um, when you're packing like a bunch of those yeah. races, and I mean that's the real training for the bigger races, right? Like, yeah, the, the races themselves are part and parcel of the training.
0: Yeah, like I mean, I have a races. Those are ones I'm just like all forces in, I'm actually gonna taper for and I have like B and C races. Uh-huh. The C races are like, okay, there's a race this weekend. I've like done zero taper. I've run hundred miles this week. I'm gonna go run this. It's good training, you know? Um, but it's important not to overdo it. Like, I mean, that's really like, I don't typically do races 13 days apart. Uh-huh. I might do that once a year. Uh, running like this year, I've run seven ultras. And that's and I've run maybe like ten other races or like marathons to like three uh three point one. Uh so it, it's important because if you if you run an ultra every three weeks or two weeks, you're just not gonna survive. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you're you're gonna end up burning your your passion out or you're gonna end up uh just like hurting yourself
1: mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. So I mean it's important to think about like sure. You know, sure. But you do this string of ultras kind of back to back. And the point you were making really is just the benefits of eating plant-based allowed you to kind of bounce back in a way that you hadn't prior. Absolutely, I mean, it's just
0: incredible. Like uh, a lot of people traditionally might say, oh, you need X number of protein, grams of protein a day, or you need this and that. Um, But by just eating a balance of variety, uh, eating like healthy whole food-based items, it's it's incredible how quickly you can get your body to recover. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when I was in my 20s and my 30s, I can remember feeling like aches in my, my legs or just like fatigue that lasts a long time. And now it's like crazy, but it, it doesn't last long. Even after doing bigs, I mean, I left bigs, it was kind of a wild experience because after I finished, I really didn't want the event to end. Like I was just, it, it was so much fun to have that, like something I dreamed about for years, like come to fruition. It was just incredible. I mean, I just felt like it was it was too exciting to end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I literally just slept in the tent that night that was like 20 meters away from the, the right. finish line. But the next uh, day I ended up like driving back to Cincinnati. Uh, I didn't get back to like 11 p.m and I like went out and did my mile run cuz so I have like a run You're streak, on streak going, right yeah run streak going so you get home at 11 yeah. and you went for you went went running. for a mile run and then my student teacher <laughs> his his wife uh-huh. it, or fiance is a, a ER doctor so he, she said hey Harvey you should go to the you know university hospital uh-huh. and get this checked out so after the mile run at midnight I went over and got my hand x-rayed and then uh, I was there for a few hours. They had some good laughs with me. Uh-huh. And I, I, I got back home, I ran to work the next day, like uh, at like, I don't know, like seven or something like that. So and it was wild just running to work. I felt pretty good. Like, I mean, I, I, I felt that I ran, you know, a good distance, but it's like that process of healing had already like started to really happen.
1: Unbelievable.
0: And it, it happens really fast.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do your students think? About all this, oh, like, man. what's the vibe? Like, I want to do a vibe check. Like, they're amazing. Uh, they, like, they, do they have a concept of like what's actually going on? They,
0: they, there's, there's a lot of variety there. Uh, you know, they, they're super supportive. Uh, I have this, um, just amazing group of students. SCPA is a really neat school. It's a K through 12 public art school, mm-hmm. and so we're, we're. Yeah, you know, our kids, they all have majors in the arts. Some are ballet, some theater. Yeah, you know, it's like all over the place. So they have incredible energy already, and, and they're already doing so many amazing things. So for me to be doing this is just kind of like I just fit in like they're already doing their own right. like we have a major musical happening right now, Grease. Right. And uh, but they they do kind of like get excited about it and they're like. They're kind of like you ran how far? Right. <laughs> you did what? It's like that's to Lewis like uh let's like to What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> what is that? Where is that? <laughs> I don't understand. What what did you do?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Are there sports teams at the high school? Uh we have
0: like a basketball, cheerleading. It's not a uh, ever it's, running it, club that organized. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's not like a sports. Right. Yeah, it's like, a different like, it's kind, it's kind, of yeah, kind of school. All of arts. Yeah, 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 they're amazing yeah. artists. Yeah,
1: so everybody's really eclectic and into different kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. you would love it.
0: You would absolutely. If you get through Ohio, we would love to have you as a guest speaker. At our I would school. love to come. my yeah.
1: my eldest daughter uh, is a senior at the LA version of that like ah. at the you know the LA uh, Performing arts high School here. That's neat. Yeah. what was her major? Uh, visual arts, so painting and sculpture. God, yeah. It's so amazing. So I love that stuff. She's, you know, we, we we went back East and we're looking at art colleges and stuff like that. That's what she that's, wants to do. That's so, so incredible. So yeah, I watched some videos of you kind of at your school and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, it's you. very similar to, uh, to my daughter's school, That's so, so cool. I think I, I, yeah. I get the I get the vibe. It's a, they're yeah. they're special places. They're different than mm. typical high schools, yes. and the kids are all so unique.
0: Yes, they mm. are. It really is. I get a lot of positive energy from my students. There's no doubt about it. I mean, mm. it's like a two way street. Like I give, but I also get. I probably get back a lot more than I give,
1: for sure. Right. So that that kind of leads me into this thing I was curious about because I I suspect. Along the way, you've probably had opportunities or been tempted to just be a professional runner, like get a shoe contract, and they pay you equal or maybe even more than you're getting paid as yeah. a teacher, and you could just do the thing right but right. clearly, you're getting nourishment out of your profession in a way that that doesn't make sense for you
0: yeah, yeah. I always like to joke with my my fiance kelly uh. Who's, who's also an amazing part of my life. I mean, she gives me a lot of energy as well, but she's a teacher as well. And I always joke, like, well, if, if I don't play the lottery much, maybe once every five years, but if I play the lottery and it's like millions and millions of dollars, I'm like, if I win this lottery, I'm still gonna go back to teaching. I'm still teaching. Right. Like, I'm not leaving teaching if I win the lottery. Now, maybe I do something special with the money, um, you know, create some scholarships or something at my school, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not leaving it. Like I I really enjoy it. I mean, it's a, a lot of fun. Uh so cool. uh it's not it's it's something that I have my challenging days, there's no doubt about it. Like definitely we have our our tough days too, but uh overall it, there's a lot of uh, it, it it's an incredible experience to be able to work with young people mm-hmm. when they're at that crossroads in life and they're like, "Okay, where do I want to go next?" Like I'm I'm 16, 17. I have like the juniors and seniors. So, where do I want to go next with my life? Like, where, what, where, what pathway do I want to take? Yeah. And it's kind of neat to be there at that moment and get to like guide them a little bit. Um, but also just it's an exciting, exciting life period, you know? Yeah,
1: that's cool. That's so refreshing to hear how much you enjoy doing it. Like, it just makes me feel hopeful. About humanity. You know what I mean? Like the fact that that, like you're like, yeah, I would do this no matter what. Like, I don't know, man. That's cool. Those kids are are lucky to have somebody like that like you. you. Thank you 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 very much. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. Subscribe to The Proof available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So during the week, you have this thing where, you know, it's partially training, but also partially kind of sustainability minded that you're, you know, a human powered commuter, you got this three mile trek. To and from work, so you run you run to work, you run to sc- the school in the morning, and then you run home and during the week that 's kind of like your training i 'm sure you go longer on some days versus others, but like you 're at the school all day, so it 's not yeah. like as the ultra runner you 're going out and running you know forty miles every single day or anything like that like i right. I, I suspect it 's rather contained like during the weekdays
0: yeah it's uh it's a really important part of my training. Like I run basically three miles of work, uh, but it, a lot of days it ends up being like longer, you know, two or three days a week, I might run like eight or 10 miles mm-hmm. uh, back and forth. And it's a really nice way to to get the get the day going. I mean, like it, it gives me a chance to reflect on what's happening for for the day, like what I wanna focus in on. And, uh, and I think having that, it, it, having that energy, it kind of prepares you for being like a speaker or being interacting with students. And then at the end of the day, if you had a rough day, it definitely helps as well. Cause I mean, it's like running is therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. so it, like you have a chance to think about, okay, what happened with that student? What could have I done differently with that situation that have work better or where, where should I like, Maybe what should I do with class that next week? You know, so I have those thoughts, but I also have thoughts like, you know, maybe it was just a challenging day or maybe I'm exhausted, like in running home, literally like, again, reinvigorates mm-hmm. me to like transition to like that second part of life. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to leave like stresses that are work related at work and not carry them with me. And I think that's a powerful tool running is like, it's free Virtually, and it's like such great therapy for us. Yeah. I mean, no matter what your situation is, having that running is, is a really powerful thing. The other thing about it is I, I run with a backpack. So I'm running with a little weight uh, for you know, 30 plus miles a week, and that, that definitely helps. And uh, Cincinnati has some hills. So I get a little hill training in. How do you avoid injury? Yeah, it's, uh, I've got, well, I've got Mr. Miyagi. Uh,
1: right, that, you are telling what, me about this guy. Yeah. I'm ready to get on a plane and go visit this guy.
0: You're invited, like you can <laughs> stay at my place. Uh, it's only like a half a mile away. Um, but Andy Shetterly does active release therapy. And, uh, you know, there, people can seek out, you know, sports massage or physical therapy and things like that. But uh, I've just found it really powerful. Like I typically, we'll see him uh 3 times a month mm-hmm. and then if i'm having ever an issue like i'll just go see him like twice in like a week and he he can usually fix it in two t- two visits right. like super so, painful uh, art ART. Can t. Be. oh yeah yeah so we it's not painful at all like we we keep it like uh on a scale of 1 to 10 like a uh, 4 or 5 like we mm. we believe it's like it's better his practice is better to just like have a little bit of an impact on like breaking up scar tissue or whatever it is without making it painful. So I never do like I'm not into mm, leg pain.
1: Right. <laughs> you know I mean I've I mean, had a few slow, pretty painful crazy, but... ART sessions like right, they know no, right where to go yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like excruciating.
0: Yeah, but it's in a good way. Like you is. need
1: it and you always feel amazing afterwards, but
0: it's one of those key components. Uh sleep is another one. So I mean I think I really believe in in sleep. And uh I think it's important like if you look at you know, the top marathoners in the world, like they actually are getting like nine or 10 hours of sleep and a nap in a day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I wasn't working, like I would probably take a nap every day too. You know, I think yeah. it's it's a great thing. But uh, yeah, it's a, I think getting seven or more hours of sleep is really important, like as important as whatever you're doing physically. Right. Like I think it's really important to you. And you're, you te-
1: government is what you teach, right?
0: Yeah, I teach government, AP government. Uh-huh. And uh, that's why I was really, I was excited to listen to uh, Andrew Yang and uh-huh. your podcast with him.
1: Yeah, what do you uh, think, are you a Yang leaders. gang?
0: Well, I, I was very intrigued by him and I, I love his energy. I think he brings a, a strong dynamic that we need. I feel like we need that voice. Yeah. And I know, I know I have students that are, yeah, I've had students that are attracted to you know him as well as like a candidate mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think it's um it, it's uh it we need a change we need a, we definitely need a change in America. there's no doubt yeah, about it I we, mean we need like uh some positive energy infused, and that's one of the things with running like I really like the fact that running brings us together. It's like I don't think about someone as being Republican or Democrat. I have friends of, of both extremes. And it's like running when we run. I mean, sometimes we get on topics and we're like, okay, let's switch a topic here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like I, I, I like that running brings us together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, it has an amazing power to do that, you know, to just unite the best of us and bring us together in a way that few other things can. And it's beautiful for that and for so many other things. But, you know, one of the reasons I asked you about. Teaching government um, is that you've done a couple cool things with your running that I think are really unique, you know, in and outside of the ultra space. Like you went and ran Gandhi's Salt March in 2008, and then you did the Selma to Montgomery route in 2009. So it's this cool way of applying, you know, a a really practical civics lesson Mm -hmm. and, and melding it with your running to like have a have like a boots on the ground experience of what those historical you know occurrences must have felt like,
0: absolutely. yeah, it's I, I really believe in like experiential learning. So I mean, I would love to take every one of my students to Selma to do the the Selma trail mm-hmm. every year. I mean, that would be incredible, but we're limited by time and resources. So having the opportunity to go down there with a group of ten friends, uh, the second time I went down there and like to bring that back and like share that with students. When I was down there the first time in 2000, I think it was a seven, uh, I got to actually meet with civil rights leaders and uh, like uh, wow. Mother Cooper, uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson. Mm. Uh, these folks were, were just like reaching a hundred years of age. And like, so to get a chance to like actually speak with them and interview them, about their experiences, Harry Belafonte, uh to to, wow. to to chat with these people and 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 really get pieces of the story that you don't read about in the textbook. That was powerful. Like to bring that back and share that with my students and say, look, you know, um this is what I heard from you know Mother Cooper and her experience with the sheriff. You know, uh what it was like when they were trying to overcome you know, the the literacy tests. And like, I mean, that just makes it it, it kind of breathes life into what right. you're trying to teach about when you talk about the nineteen sixty five Voting Rights Act. And like that, I love that. Like I would I, I would love to do that for every unit yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and then the Gandhi experience, that was a whole nother story. That, that that one we could probably spend a few hours on, but but Gandhi um as some is an individual that I it, deeply admire. Uh, you know, so many facets of what he was able to achieve um, based on the resources he had. And uh, following the 240 mile journey, I start off with my cousin and his girlfriend, um, they end up having, they broke up on the second days and they end up like, uh, they end up going and cruising <laughs> ahead. Yeah, eventually they end up getting uh-huh. married. So it all worked okay. out. But uh, so I up by myself out there in India from day two, just carrying like, I, I thought, well, if Gandhi could like survive with like 10 items, I should be able to like survive a month with like 10 items as mm-hmm. well. So I'm just running through the, the countryside in these super intensely urban, uh, very polluted cities. Unfortunately, like the pollution, air pollution there was really strong. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely country. And the people I met were so generous. I mean, I met farmers that didn't have anything, but they would want to offer something to me, offer food or whatever they could give me. And they were so generous. I mean, it just, the generosity I experienced amongst the people in India. And then it kind of took off while I was there, too. Like, they, they were writing about in the Times of India every day. Mm. And so every other truck driver would be honking at me and waving. And uh, I mean, it it was tough, like, because it was so hot. Uh, It was like a hundred degrees, but the humidity was really hot and I wasn't as strong as I am now. Uh, And so I ended up like even have like, I had blood in my urine on like the third day, which I've never had ever before or since. And it was just from like being overheating myself. Mm -hmm and like pushing myself too hard. Um, But uh, I destroyed my feet. I had like a a thousand blisters. Uh, I had to get these bamboo sticks. I mean, one day I found a big chunk of ice on the ground. I was so thankful to find that chunk of ice. I was like, it's so hot. Oh, it's like a gift from the heavens. I mean, I've never been so so excited about a chunk of ice. (laughs) 10 items.
1: Yeah, You only brought 10 items with you. So yeah, what were the had, 10 items and were you just camping? Like, did you have a backpack or what, was this like uh, a self-supported thing? Or? Yeah,
0: it was a self-supported, I didn't really have a plan. Like uh-huh. I was kind of just winging it. And so I started off at the Gandhi Ashram and they basically had these, uh, they escorted me out of the city with all these uh, scooters and they had the media there and everything. And uh basically the first night or first couple of nights they organized for place for me to sleep. But I the first night I like slept in the middle of this village, just out on a, a bed at, out, outside the, the mm-hmm. small small home. And like uh it was kind of funny because I like look up and there's like twenty villagers circled around me just looking down <laughs> at me. And I'm like, all right, I'm uh-huh. trying to sleep here a little bit. Um but then I met other people like uh this gentleman Petrel, Uh, Patel, he uh, invited me to, it was like the sixth day, he invited me to stay with his family at his house. I just met him uh, out on like this lonely road and he still keeps in touch with me today. So like maybe once a month he'll call me and say, how is your family? How how is everything in Cincinnati? It's pretty neat. Uh, Yeah, so, but at the end we were met by a uh, principal of a school for deaf and blind children. And they escorted me like the last mile. So we shared that mile together. Mm. And that was super amazing. Like I could never uh, put a value on that. Like sharing that experience with those kids yeah. was
1: incredible. And so now the- when you think about Gandhi and you know, his civil disobedience and what that salt march must have been like, you have a whole like, oh, yeah. rich kind of history of experience yeah. to draw upon that makes that come to life in a way that it can't in a textbook.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I met uh, a guy who shared stories about uh, his father. He he brought me a a sheet of paper where Gandhi had like written his father a note on it. And Mm -hmm. uh, just the, uh, it it was uh, as much a connection with like Gandhi's story as it was the local people. Because the people were so, even though they didn't have a lot of material wealth, they were extremely generous with like their, their uh, time and uh, whatever they had, they would be willing to give it to you. So, I mean, a lot of times I would stop in these little like uh, tiny, tiny little like stores, like a little shack that's selling like uh, goods and they wouldn't let me pay. They right. like, no, you're gonna have to take that. You can't pay.
1: <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right, and they have nothing. Yeah, nothing. You know? Yeah. Wow. wow. You seem like a generally happy like very positive guy like you have this like sunny disposition you must have your like i'm looking where's the dark side <laughs> you know like is there is there a dark yes. side like yeah. you i mean when i look at you i see somebody like who that disposition is 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 really a big part of like how you're able to weather like such mental toughness when the chips are down in these races like i see the same thing in courtney like she's it, it, you know, the like the worldview is like the world's a good place and it's gonna be fine. And like, let's have a good time, you know? Yeah. And that's an underappreciated superpower.
0: Yeah, it's it's how I feel. Like, I mean, it's, I do have like, uh you know, my moments, like, uh, but they don't, I, I try to get myself through those moments by like focusing on good things, mm-hmm. like the good things, yeah, you know, there's a lot of rough things out there that we can all like get, get ourselves caught up in but focusing on the people in our circle, you focusing on like the experiences that we can have in life. It, it, it can be a superpower, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of kid were you? Uh, I was a challenging kid. I yeah. was a big challenging kid. Like I actually really, uh, I think I'd have to go back to like my parents getting divorced when I was like five. So I grew up in this uh, remote area of Pennsylvania when I was really young. A place called Chalk Hill, Pennsylvania, and then I moved to uh, a suburb of Cleveland with my mother. So that 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 had a challenge uh, for me um, when I was going to school. I I really struggled. Like I was not. I was a D student, F student, uh, all the way up until like tenth grade. I mean, I was really a struggling student. I mean, I, I was in. I was literally placed in like learning disability classes because i was a problem uh, at because problem you didn't behavior. care
1: or you couldn't pay attention it was or... a
0: variety of things i was a challenging with my behavior like mm-hmm. i i just was i do my own thing <laughs> you know? and uh um, like not a not like a bad kid but I just mean, wasn't i'm not like, listening to anybody yeah i wasn't causing fires but yeah i would just be i would would like yeah i wouldn't listen i'd be you know off like you know Challenging, I, uh-huh. I just would be really challenging. Was part
1: of that like your coping mechanism for the trauma of the divorce or like I, when you back on it that. Probably some of it was
0: that a yeah. little bit. And then also I think like learning styles, like my learning style, I I got behind my first couple years of elementary school. Like, so I wasn't a good reader, I struggled. Uh, I think that some of my teachers in the earlier grades, it, they'd want like kind of push me off in the corner because I was just, what do you do with this kid? I've got a mm. ton of stuff going on. It's 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 challenging to work with this student, you know, right. so.
1: And then you start to believe that you're the kid who can't learn or.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah. And then I just had like this uh, mindset that I just couldn't learn. Yeah, it was really true. I mean, I had some amazing teachers along the road. I had um, this uh, Mrs. Gondish, like with my elementary school teacher in special ed. Uh, I, I really struggled with reading comprehension and uh, my self-efficacy. So like, I, I really didn't think I could do it. And I had a big giant change was when I went and did the marathon when I was 15. So- And why, what prompted that? I, I had been uh I, I've always been sort of uh curious about challenges. Like even when I was a chubby kid, I was always kind of curious about like I'd always want to go kind of climb up like the hill that's like it doesn't look like it's very climbable or do do things like that. And uh the marathon just intrigued me. I'd, it 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 cut into my morning cartoons when I was a kid. Like I'd be watching on Saturday, I'd be like, what the heck is this? But I, I I got drawn in. I was watching it when I was probably like eleven, twelve, somewhere around there, thirteen. So I knew about this Cleveland Marathon, and for whatever reason, like I was like, I want to do that. I told my mom when I was like like eight days, nine days before the race, I want to do that marathon, and she's like, my mom always say, okay to everything, uh-huh. and so she said, okay, we'll sign you up. So I went down there, got signed up for the marathon. The furthest I ran at that time was like eight miles. Mm-hmm. I mean. And And this is like what, like 91? Like 91, exactly, when I was uh, 15. So I was a freshman in high school, like my coach at the time said, like, I ran one marathon and it was miserable. There's no way you want to do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean and everyone Thanks else for on the, the pep team, talk. I know. And everyone you know? else on the team's like, Harvey, because I'd usually finish towards the back of the group. They're like, Harvey, there is no way you're gonna be able to finish that marathon. Just and no it was way. unusual then for yeah. somebody
1: that young to do something back like that. Back then. Like yeah, the absolutely. idea was you could harm yourself or right, you, know, you right. could do permanent damage. Right. So I ended up like going down
0: uh and I had to get down there by myself that day because so my mom was working at the hospital. And uh I ran the first ten miles, like I, I like I thought it was no problem at all. Like I think I went real fast. I got to mile ten, I just about like, man, I'm like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> right. know, how in the world am I gonna even finish this thing? So I ran and walked uh the rest of the race. And I like met up with a couple other runners. Uh and that helped me out a lot. Uh and I ended up like Finishing that race, I can still visualize the finish line and it just seemed like it was a country away, like it would never happen. But finishing that race was monumental for me mm-hmm. at the time because I had never experienced that kind of like success. So even though I finished it like over five hours. To me, like just finishing the marathon was like a huge, giant success. Especially when everyone Uh,
1: was telling you it was impossible. Impossible, yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, that that changed my mindset. And then after that, I started applying myself in school. And so like, it would still take me probably two and a half, three hours to do what someone would do in like 30, 40 minutes, like for writing a paper, but I put a lot of energy and thought into it. And then uh, I ended up really doing much better. I ended up like turning around from being like a and a D student that really didn't believe in themselves, didn't want to put themselves out there for the risk of failure or whatever it might be, or didn't think that I could do it, to being like I'm just gonna apply myself until I do do it. So it's gonna get it, it was it was a monumental change for yeah, me.
1: That's really powerful to hear the idea of going out and doing something hard and then learning as a young person that you can apply that will or that determination to these other areas in your life. And you know most people who get relegated to the side in the educational system, I don't have to tell you as a teacher, like that's all she wrote. It becomes very difficult for that person to like inch their way back in and find a path to self-efficacy, short of finding something outside of the academic realm that gives their life sort of direction and purpose like you did.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. for our for our school at SCPA. I mean, I think the arts do that for our kids. Sure, like finding that like vehicle through the arts is super mm-hmm. powerful. But finding some vehicle to like motivate kids is like revolutionary. It's huge. It's the it's, whole it's game, huge. Man. Yeah, it's yeah. huge, and it's it's hard. I, I think that it, me having the background I do, where I I really struggled through school until like my sophomore junior year, and then I really took off. It does help me a bit with some of my kids are like on that same edge where they're struggling, and I can kind of relate to them, and yeah, you know, I can understand what it's, what it's like to 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 not do well, uh-huh. you know, and to try try to to turn around. So I mean, I can don't you crack them though. I, mean, I don't always crack tough. it. No, it's very yeah. tough. But you know, when you do with one or two, like or or however that is, like then it's like wow, that's like a, a wild moment.
1: Mm. Do You ever invite any of the students to run with you?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, we have.
0: Uh, I mean, we have a running club at school. Uh, there's been different things. I have it's the an running excuse club for you to get a
1: third run in. Yeah, running. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It is, <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. Uh, but I had. Uh, I've had a number of students have really taken off with it. Um, one of my students, Logan, he he got into running club so much. And then he ended up doing ultras and another one, Chris uh, Meyer. And it's kind of neat to see like them getting into it. And mm-hmm. like, actually Logan was at Badwater this year, crewing one of the other racers. Oh, wow. So that was really cool to have happen. That's really cool. But uh, one time I actually, uh, with one of my students, cause I was trying to really get, get his mind, uh, focus on his mind, but uh, I actually raced him on his bus. Like he took the bus home to his house and I raced and I beat him. Like I said, okay, yeah. I'll race you home. You take the bus, I'm a run, I'm gonna beat you. And he's like, no way, you're gonna <laughs> be so I did it. Uh-huh. And uh that was fun. So it was kind of like a breakthrough because then we were able to like, you know, build upon that. Right. You know, but uh yeah, it's it's it, there's no like uh, cut science entirely with teaching. I mean there's uh, you have to like uh always be adapting and mm-hmm. trying new things.
1: Well that fourteen to eighteen kind of Uh, span of time, which is where, you know, my parenting falls right now between two different kids, trying to figure out that way in is so tough. And on some level, it's like, it's not for me. Like they don't wanna hear it from their parents. It has to be through someone like you or somebody else you know, that they can look to for inspiration, but, you know, try, I must, <laughs> And you know, it's know. that age where it's like, they don't wanna hear it. They don't wanna be around you. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just the furthest thing from being influential on that level. And it's a powerlessness that you feel as a parent um, that makes it really hard, you know? It's just like, I can see like, here's kind of where I could wedge my way in and maybe nudge this young person in this direction, but they're not having it. Exactly. And they gotta find yeah. it for themselves or they gotta hear it from somebody else.
0: Yeah, yeah, my, my son is 25 now. Mm. And I went through that when he was a teenager. I mean, it's like, I tried every angle and it's just <laughs> like during those years, we really struggled. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to say that now it's like, it's, it's come full circle. He's like, really, we have a much, better communication now than we did when he was like in those teenage
1: years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your relationship with your dad is super interesting as well, right? So the divorce happens, you go to live with your mom and you are I don't get the sense that you were estranged from your dad, but you just didn't know him like he wasn't in your daily experience, right? Well, my dad was really good about communicating with
0: me. Like every Sunday we had a, a conversation and it would be annoying to me at the time, like it'd feel like a lecture, um, but it, it was also a way for us to stay connected because he he had moved to Minnesota, mm-hmm. following to divorce. Uh, and we also spent time in the summertime. So we would typically, he exposed me actually to the wilderness. Like we would go uh, when I was in seventh grade and then also ninth going or maybe 10th grade, we went uh, to different like trips out west to the Wind River Mountains. So, having that experience with my father, even though it was limited on time, was super powerful as well mm-hmm. it was valuable to me. I mean, like I, I told you I had to break through with the marathon, but there were other things that you know having, having my parents in my camp were were, were important right.
1: to right. me. yeah um, A couple of years ago, you take a crack at the uh, fastest known time for the Appalachian Trail, and you use this also as an experience to create a deeper connection with your dad and you make this documentary out of the whole thing. So talk a little bit about that. Cause this is really kind of, it's super touching. It's like a running thing, but it's kind of not, it's about something else altogether. And yeah. I think it's really cool. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole thing, but I watched a couple, I watched a trailer and then read up on it and stuff like that. So tell me more about this project. Definitely.
0: So. I came up with the idea of going for the fastest known time on the AT. And we we set out for it in 2018. And I was looking at it's one of the biggest challenges is the logistics. Like who is gonna crew you? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going for a supported record, uh, it's like 40, it was 45 days at that time. And like having someone with you for 45 days, that's a that's a major contribution. It's a major commitment. So I'm like I had a lot of friends that could come out for like maybe two or three days. I have my friend, Alan Lopes, who could come out for oh, three weeks, but I needed someone who could be there the, whole, the time. whole time. And I was like, I don't know if I wanna do this to my dad. He's 79, it's like, it's a lot of intensity mm-hmm. to be driving on these rural roads and there are no, road signs and like you have to navigate and stay up late. Who's in more peril? You on the the trail trail or or your dad in the van? Exactly, I was (laughs) really concerned on some days, but my dad, he has a really, uh, he is a strong man. I mean, honestly, I don't know anyone as as tough as he is in a sense of like his mental strength and ability to problem solve. So he's he's got engineering background. Uh, So he, said, yeah, I'd like to come on out and it'd be a blast. And then it it, it became not just going for the record, but actually having this opportunity to spend, you know, 50 days with my father is like priceless. You know what I mean? Like that's, it. it, it, we'd never get that opportunity. You know, it's like, we might have like a week here or a week there we never have 50 days together and going for something so tough, like getting up every day at 5 a.m and going until 10 or 12 at night, every single day, Mm -hmm. you're trying to cover, you know, basically like uh, almost 50 miles a day. And it's like, it is just, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, it's like probably the most difficult thing I've done. Uh, It's just, you get to like day three and you're like every day you're climbing 10,000 feet you know, third of the height of Mount Everest. And you're like, wow, when is this ever gonna end? Yeah. And, and it never gets easier. You know, it's like, it, it's always some element of challenge to it. But having my father along, it gave us opportunities to kind of, I mean, it just was so nice to arrive at 10 o'clock at a, a station he set up with some oatmeal like, we just have like oatmeal for, it was 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. five
1: minutes, eight minutes. Right, have a little Tuesdays with Maury moment. Oh, that moment, (laughs) I mean, it
0: just, it it, it meant a lot. And uh, so we we had simultaneously, we had this film um, that was being shot by Road ID, uh, Like Harvey, Like Son. And uh, Rudy Harris, who directed and, pro- and produced it, uh, he did an amazing job. Like I didn't see that initially as the story. Like I thought, okay, we're gonna do like this documentary on the fastest known right. time. It's gonna be really neat because we're gonna have like these amazing shots of like the AT and we're gonna get, talked to people on the trail. But then He's it like, became so much more interesting. Here's the story, right. what's going
1: on between right. these two guys? Right, it was yeah. so
0: much more interesting to focus on my father, like he's way more entertaining than I am. And he's sitting there talking to people and giving out like food to pe- to through hikers. And I mean, it's just, it, it, and then seeing the dynamic between he and I, uh, you know, I really had to rely on his, he didn't say one negative thing the whole time for 50 days. I so mean- So that's where you get it. One negative thing. Yeah, it, I, I do get a lot of that from my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he
1: said, sorry to interrupt no but no, no it's no. funny that you're like he's so entertaining because he says in the trailer like like you know harvey's so charismatic like i'm not i 'm just a guy like you know he 's <laughs> downplaying his own charm yeah he's he's
0: much he's got a, a ton of charm, and I, I think he actually is the the main star of the film um but uh yeah it's uh it's it it was a fun documentary and it's 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 a um, amazing to you know i uh, be able to have that piece with my father that's that's there sure. you know it's like yeah, forever uh, it's forever uh, you know right now there's a they're they're in works uh, with a major platform mm. so the hope is that it will come to a larger streaming service in in oh, the months cool. ahead yeah so yeah. it's
1: kind of a self-release thing at the moment
0: right at the moment it actually it got a little sideswiped by the pandemic, so right. initially we were supposed to have a, a big opening out here in Hollywood. Um, well not like a big, but a few theaters, and right. we were gonna like, uh, you know, generate. Um, it was gonna be at uh, several hundred theaters across the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, but it, it was supposed to come out. Uh, I think it was like a literally a month after the pandemic started mm. in April. Oh, like, it's uh, bummer, so, man. so it's just, it's okay, It's yeah. like, what happens? So I ended up going to maybe like, I don't know if it made it to like
1: 50 theaters or 60 theaters, I'm not sure. Uh, it, was, it did get yeah. a theatrical release though, I didn't know that, wow. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, and it's, uh, it won a number of film festivals. So believe it or not, it won like, uh, I think 11 different mm. wow. film festival awards. And so it 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 has uh, some really uh, very nice components to it. I mean, uh, and from it, it, I'm just grateful to have it out there. But I'm hopeful that
1: you know we can we can get it to the streaming service. Uh, well, um, and get it to a larger. Well, platform. obviously we'll link we'll link it up in the show notes. But the website is likeharveylikesun.com. So people should just yeah. go there and check it out and stream it. Yeah, I definitely will, I'm gonna watch it tonight. I should awesome. have watched it, now. Uh, I, uh, I feel no bad worries. that I didn't no. watch it before the podcast. No, no worries. Um, So, Barkley. yeah, This is this is what the sites are on right now. Yeah. Right? Like, why is this freaking thing so hard to crack? Like 15 people in the last 30 years have finished this thing. It's incredible. Like, what Since is the 1986.
0: deal? 1986. Uh, so, why is it so hard? It, Laz just has created the most incredibly difficult Race you can imagine for a number of reasons. Uh, Not only, I mean, it has 120 miles, like, that's not that big of a deal but the fact that it's got <laughs> uh yeah it's it's got it's all it's, relative it's, harvey all relative. For, you know you just ran <laughs> 354 miles right. so like 120 yeah, yeah that's on. not that's it's supposed to be 100 but really it's like ends up being 120 because you have to navigate so only 20% is on trail and 80% is off trail uh-huh
1: and then so that extra 20 is built in because he you, they you know you're going to go off the yeah, course yeah everyone and stuff. knows that it's right.
0: longer than 100 so you just want to think already like so you don't you know prepare yourself for uh-huh. what it's gonna be. Then you got uh, close to 60,000 feet of elevation climbing. So that's like two times up Mount Everest and back down in 60 hours. And then you have uh, going in the fog at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Like uh, imagine you're off course or you're on a course that's off trail and you're, it's pitch black. Uh, it's gonna be a, uh, maybe a quarter moon, there's fog you know, you you basically are relying on somewhat intuition, somewhat on your, your compass. Uh, you know, I'm carrying that with me now right. all the it's time. Orienteering <laughs> kind of thing. You're a little, or, little bit orienteering. And then not only that, you have to follow uh, Laz's uh, riddles that he has written in his own language uh, to where these books are hidden. And so there's 14 books you have to, you have to find, uh, find the one that's you know, maybe at the state penitentiary, you know, that they have uh, there. You have to find one underneath a rock that's by the birch tree. I mean, it's like, it's it very cryptic. It's uh, so it's it's a challenge once you get like yourself to a place where you've been going for 36 hours, uh, and, and you have to navigate at nighttime and you're, you're tired, you've had sleep deprivation. I don't think most people don't sleep even the night before the race because they're waiting for the Kong mm-hmm. shell to be blown. And they're like, have a hard time falling mm-hmm. asleep. So, I mean, it, it becomes really important to take mental record of where you're going because you also rotate loops every other loop. So you're going in a, a different direction every other loop. So there's so many components to this race that that add to the the difficulty, like including the elevation. I mean, imagine climbing up and down Everest in uh, 60 hours yeah. and it's not like on a road or like a, a path, it's on like this uh, muddy like climb uh, up like a steep embankment right.
1: with thorns.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's it's very challenging, but that's what I love about it
1: yeah so like, how do you get your head around that and sort of uh customize your training to be in the best kind of prepared state that you can yeah it's it, that's why I love about taking on these
0: new challenges like bad water is such an extreme, like the hot environment this now i'm not I'm starting to not think about things in terms of mileage, so now i I've never done this before. I know a lot of runners out here do this, but now I'm starting to think about it just in terms of like vertical ascent. So now like I'm actually plotting down. I never did it before. I never really cared about it. just like, but now I'm writing down every week what my vertical ascent is Mm -hmm. and every day what that is. And I'm literally seeking out every single hill, mountain, molehill I can find. And when I can do it uh, on the weekend, I go to like a state park in Ohio and I just literally go right off trail, right through the, like the brush, the thorns, everything. Right. I just, just go straight off right. trail. And I like just go like in get like a- yeah, Get lost. Get lost and then try to find your way back.
1: Yeah, You know, uh, you need to have like so, a buddy of yours, like kidnap you in the middle right. of the night and blindfold you and just like drop you out of the trunk of a car somewhere and you don't know where you are. And it's like, good luck, buddy, you gotta get home. <laughs> like that would well, be- you know?
0: That's an idea. I might actually use that <laughs> yeah.
1: one. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, you know, or they, what's the tallest skyscraper in Cincinnati? And yeah, like, we can have you the, run the stairs?
0: Yeah, it's Yes. Uh, I don't think that's gonna be. Uh, it's probably not. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna do it. No. Yeah, it's not tall enough,
1: rich. Right. But I mean, I know you could. Do but at least like, like conveniently yeah. located if you want to get some verts like true. during the week or something.
0: Yeah. Fortunately, Cincinnati is a city of seven hills, so we do have great hills in mm-hmm. Cincinnati. So I could just go up and down the hills, and you know, there's really that element of also being out in the environment. Like that's another thing. Just. Being comfortable being out when it's like dark and it's three a.m. You know, so it's I'm not gonna train every day like running at three a.m. But I have to be comfortable be out in the middle of nowhere Uh and like just you know be being out in the dark at three a.m. in the middle nowhere like we're contestant
1: in a reality show or something exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: so it's like you end up doing these kind of crazy training I mean every every one of these major races involves a degree of some new crazy training that I love that. I love that. I love yeah. like trying to be creative. I think that the, the creative element is so important in ultras and it's also under-recognized, like as a, as a, as a pivotal element is being creative. Well,
1: one of the things that you do as part of, you know, part of it is part of this human powered commuting is like you kayak to work sometimes, or I think you even swam. Yeah, I, I swam in a, in a few like, times, yeah. yeah. Um, to mix it up and like keep it fun and fresh and and you know experience a little bit of cross training benefit too. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was surprised. I saw on Instagram like you hit the pool. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. The, on the fairly regular, don't you?
0: Uh not enough. Yeah. honestly, I do it like kind of seasonally. Like, uh, mm-hmm. so there's an outdoor pool I like to go to. It's a, Like a, a city time. pool, right? City it looks like pool, it was right in the, of the city. Yeah, yeah, it's right in the heart of the city, and it's underutilized as well. So I mean, I like to get out there when they're open in the uh, the like season for it. Mm-hmm. And if I, you know if I had a, yeah, I, if I had a pool like that that was open year round, I'd probably utilize it more. Right. But uh, I just kind of go with seasons. Like sometimes I'll get into something like that for just a season. And like in the winter time, I literally uh, from like January to February, I usually like sign up for a gym that has like a a like a big movie theater like that you can just run on the treadmill. Uh-huh. And like, I, I just like watching the movies right. and like, yeah, I'll do that in like January, or February. But th- the last couple of years I haven't because my races have involved more element, being out in the elements. And with Barkley, it's like, you have to just throw yourself out yeah. in that. No treadmills. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, even like- Laz would not approve. No, Laz would not approve. <laughs> you know, even like uh, being su- subjected to more cold, like you want, it's gonna be very cold in that race. Like uh, when you're up on the ridge line and it's like maybe gonna be uh, in the 20s or it could be in the 30s. Uh, this week it's, neg- it's gonna be down to 19. Mm. So, I mean, it's it gets windy. What, and when wet. is the race? I can't say the exact date, but it is in March. Okay. Yeah. So it's, because uh, it's all Because you secretive. know, but you can't say, or yeah, I, know I know it's all, all shrouded in smoke and mirrors. Right, and right, okay.
1: right. So they, they why, does he, why secrecy around the date?
0: Well, right now it has become just an incredible phenomenon in terms of like people are so excited about it. So he wants to like. Because of the Netflix documentary? I think that's definitely part of it. So it has a huge following. I mean,. I posted about uh that was in the race, which yeah, the is condolences, a little bit of a no no right, uh, yeah. but, but people knew I, I was gonna get into it because I had one um Biggs backyard mm-hmm. and like that was one of the the benefits of what what I won from winning bigs was I got into Barkley, <laughs> so right. I get
1: some more punishment. But you're being but, shamed for right. even talking about it. Right. It's like
0: fight club, like yeah. you're not allowed to say yeah. anything. No, you you can say a little bit about certain things, but you can't say the date. Um, Yeah, but that, like he has had challenges with a lot of people sh- or people showing up mm-hmm. that aren't supposed to be there. And it's a relatively con- small space, like at the campground mm-hmm. and things like that. So. They don't they don't want people showing up like uh
1: those dates and unless they're right. like uh invited guests. Yeah. Right. Well, good news because uh we're heading into winter. So right. you're gonna get a fair amount of cold weather in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see you out there shirtless. Yeah, I every day. But know. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna try like uh probably on my run commutes to school a couple of days a week where I'll probably just wear like a a shirt and shorts, even right. if it's like 20 degrees right, or right, 15 right, degrees, right. but not every yeah, day. Yeah, not yeah. every day. It's like with bad water, I only train for heat
1: a couple of days a week. Like it's mm-hmm. better for your mind. And we might as well spend at least a minute on that because I think, yeah. y- you know, I know what you did, but that would blow people's minds to know the kind of heat acclimation work that you put in.
0: Yeah, bad water is, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite ultras in the world. It's, uh, it's not that far
1: from your home. So mm. we, we and I know you've been out there. I crewed it yeah. one year, that yeah. was enough for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I love the environment out there. I mean, it's like- It's beautiful. It, it's incredible. So, I mean, it's 120 degrees typically in the race. It's 135 miles, you know, you go to, uh, you go up over three mountains and you finish on Whitney. And uh, yeah, this year was uh, magical because it was my 10th year running Badwater. Mm-hmm. I had won the race back in 2014 on the alternate course that year due to the park uh, closure. There was all that shenanigans. Yeah. And so uh, it was a dream of mine. Uh, I write out goals each year. And like that was one of my like 12 goals for the year was to win Badwater. And it was wild because I had written it down. And I mean, you just like, it it was a a bit of a, a high stretching goal. But to have it come to fruition was again, it was just incredible. Cause I've been dreaming about that again Mm. for years and working at it and just trying to tweak and tweak. The uh, race was, uh, it it was very windy this year. And we, uh, there was uh, uh, a runner from uh, Ukraine who got out ahead. He was uh, leading uh, throughout most of the race uh, and he was continuing to build a lead. And then going up the second mountain, this was about mile uh, seventy-nine or mm-hmm. to eighty-three. I was really feeling uh, beat up, like I was actually. That's the
1: one where it's the middle of the night,
0: right? Uh, because of like the race oh, starting they at ten the starting time. p.m. Yeah, yeah. For like the last uh, six mm-hmm. years, so that that's actually around. I think it was around noon, like about mm-hmm. noon or one o'clock. And I was feeling like a, a bit beat up. I was trying to hang in there mentally. I was thinking, cause I, I was like, I always think like, you never know what's gonna happen to a person in front. And I was in second place at the time. And I'm just like, I just have to work through this. So my team getting Judd and my other friends, they were trying to keep me hydrated, give me like enough liquids. And I wasn't doing the greatest. Uh, somehow when I got to that uh, aid station at Darwin, I had this, just uh fire that that hit me and uh I I just felt like a different person like and I and I knew that at that aid station I, I got the clock time on the runner in front and I knew that he was struggling as well because despite me slowing down he had put no time on me. Mm. And I'm like okay I'm gonna go get you. What I was the, the gap
1: like, at that point?
0: It was about, I think about 25 minutes or so like, um, but I'm like, I'm gonna just give everything I have. And then, so we started running, we ran a few miles and all of a sudden we had this really special experience where the fighter jets literally just buzzed over top of us, like 60 meters above our heads. And that was just like, that just lit me up even more. And now I'm just like, all right. And, and then another, maybe another half a mile, mile from that, literally I saw Igor, um, Ukrainian runner, and, and he was in my sights. And then I just was very consistent not to over overdo it, but to continually like mm, chip away. Chip away. Mm-hmm. And I think I caught up to him about mile 114. We had a really good exchange. Actually it was very like, uh, positive between the two of us. Uh it was actually one of the coolest events I like moments I've ever had running to have like a positive embrace and where he's like, you know, I was like, you know, keep at it and he's like, you go get it and that was uh, something oh, really sweet. special.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Two wins, 10 bad waters plus the fastest known time from bad water to the summit, Mount Whitney summit, right? That was another wild one. So it's crazy. With 2020, so explain, yeah. like, first of all, Badwater for people that don't know, one hundred thirty-five miles across the desert. Most people are familiar with the crazy heat, and they know, you know, some sense of of what that's like. But they under they they don't really understand that there's like an insane amount of elevation gain, and the last however many when you get into the portals and yeah. you go up to the, the to last... eight thousand feet of Mount Whitney, it's like the last what is it, half marathon is like straight uphill. Yeah, the last half
0: marathon is is definitely a climb. It's like another 5,000 feet up to the portal.
1: But then it's a whole other thing altogether to continue past that point and go all the way to the summit, which is the highest point in North America. So the original concept behind this race was you go from the lowest point in North America to the highest point in the contiguous US.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Al Arnold did this back in 1976, and set the and it set it up. 146 uh, is the original Badwater course, but the Park Service, as things are, they they really
1: didn't like the idea of having runners right. go up Whitney. You, which you've makes run 135 sense. miles, and now yeah. you're going to do a summit push, and it's treacherous up there. It's I mean, treacherous. people would die for sure. Yeah, I mean, in the
0: early days, we're talking about you know, 20 people in the race, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like the bigger number. Now Mm -hmm. we have a hundred people. So I think that, you know, runners, we don't oftentimes uh, put safety nets in there or like stoppage. So if it was lightning, I could see some people be like, oh hell, I'm still going up there. Yeah, You
1: I'm so so, invested at this point.
0: Right, so, I mean, it is good that we have the 135 uh, with the number of runners we have today. But in 2020, we were having the pandemic and the race was canceled. And I, you know, I had trained for the race and I had never done the 146. And I was always kind of intrigued about it. And Marshall Ulrich had the record going mm-hmm. back 29 years earlier. I have a lot of respect for Marshall. I 91, mean, same year you yeah, did that first marathon. Same year, yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal guy. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, I'm just gonna organize. My team we will go out there in August and we'll you know, go for it. Uh, we raised money for the City Gospel Mission, which is like a homeless uh, shelter in Cincinnati that also has a running program for individuals that are recovering. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. And at first I was thinking, okay, we'll just go for like a thousand dollars or $2,000. I wasn't like really hyping it up that much. And uh, by the time we got out there, we, we had like $5,000 were donated. And so that actually kind of fueled my fire, like going into that event at at mile seventeen to hear feedback from the team that hey, we had already raised five thousand and it was going up, and yeah, that, to me it was it meant a lot to me. Um, I tried to keep really a good pace going through the race. When I got into Lone Pine at mile one hundred and twenty-two, I felt there's no way I'm gonna get this record. I I was just depleted after going through the desert. I was exhausted and I was like, okay, well, we're gonna like go up to the 135 and we'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe I'll just stop at that point. And so I was hiking up the final 13 miles that would have been to the 135. And I was talking to my fiance on the phone and I said, you know, Kelly, I feel like really, I don't think this is possible. I I really feel like there's like a 1% chance I could do this. There's mm. no chance I can do this. I I feel depleted. That's an unusual statement coming uh, from me. It's unusual, so but if you're I, saying like, it out loud. Yeah, I was saying it out loud. It's real. It's like 1% chance I can do this. Like I feel like totally depleted right now. And as I was going up the mountain, like uh, with about maybe five miles before the portal, the, the temperatures were starting to drop a bit. And I think I was able to get more liquids into my body, and I was starting to feel, hmm, okay, maybe there's something here. And then, so when I got to the last two miles up to the portal, I said to one of my friends, I said, uh, "Max, you're gonna have to prepare, or you, uh, you're gonna have to prepare things, because um, I think I might go for it." Uh, so, uh, actually I said that to Jeremy. <laughs> so. It, when we got to the top, uh, I still wasn't feeling like thunder, but I felt like it's maybe I'm gonna go for, I'm gonna go for this. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still, I'm not sure if it's possible. At, at that point, when I got to a portal, what was really amazing was Marshall Ulrich, who had the record from 29 years earlier, called me on the phone and he's like, Harvey, you know what, you can do this. like. And I was thinking I can't because I'm an hour behind where I want to be in order to make the ascent. And I know Marshall's an amazing climber. He's climbed all the seven summits. And, uh, but he gave me like a little 45 seconds, 60 seconds pep talk, which is amazing. Someone has had that record for 29 years to be so gracious to do.
1: Yeah, that's
0: super cool. So cool. How did you even have service up there? Uh, How could you even get a phone call? You get call? service at the portal. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know. My team, they, they put that together. Like they had gotten in touch with him. And then my friend, Michael Jimenez uh, and Davy McCoy and his friend, um, they accompanied me up to the, to the summit as yeah. like a crew. And like once I got on the trail, like I had my uh, hiking poles, uh, Marshall and I talked extensively about what was permitted, what was not permitted, time to leave, everything. And uh, I felt like a, a new energy. Like again, it was wild. Like I've, I felt different than I felt down below. Like I felt like, okay, I felt, I'm just gonna go with everything I got. I don't know if we have a shot, but I was moving. I was moving really fast. And Michael said, wow, it's hard to keep up with you. And, uh, so once I got to like the lat to the switch, once you get at the top of the switchbacks, you come up over the ridge line. There's like uh, 1.8 miles left or something like that. Now I thought, okay, th- it's in our sight as long as I don't make any catastrophic mistakes, mm. you know, And and then to get there at like 3:30 in the morning, uh, that was like just incredibly powerful because on the Appalachian Trail we end up coming up short. We got like the eighth fastest time, yeah. which was you know, still amazing because we got that he had an amazing experience I could never take back. But again, to get up there to uh you know be a part of Marshall's record from twenty-nine years ago mm-hmm. and then to involve my
1: team and then to do it for the City Gospel mission. That was that was yeah cool. you got it you clipped it by like twenty minutes or something yeah, like that yeah but here's the thing you get up to the summit you did it you still got to get down <laughs> yeah right you can't that's, just get in a van and drive off that's the, the challenge summit of this
0: huge mountain right so yeah my mind was really thinking about that because the temperature even in the summertime is really cold up there and especially after you're like imagine like if you can think about if you've ran a marathon before, you've done some event where at the end of that race, you get really chilled fast. Like yeah, after
1: that's like- why they hand out those those like tinfoil blankets? Exactly. Things. So like 10
0: minutes later, you get super chilled. So I went into the shelter, I think for like five minutes literally. And then I was just all about focus, but it took me a long time to get down. Like actually I wasn't trying to speed down. I was just taking my time, but I mean, it was
1: slow. I mean, I like, I was Dude, going so slow. You got slow. 146 miles <laughs> in the legs. I mean, yeah. you know, I think it's okay. Like it's kind of amazing. You're even. I mean, the quads could even handle going down a mountain. But the food after you have experience
0: like that is the best food of your life. Like I mean, that's one of the things about these ultras is like having that period where you're you're kind of like. Uh, your 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 challenge your some might call it suffering i would never call it suffering i like to look at it differently in that but you're like in fatigue and then once you have the opportunity to like relax it's like the best relaxation ever to get into the hot tub or I, down at the bottom of uh, whitney is a really nice cold river like a mm-hmm. cold creek mm-hmm. and i like to just get in that creek and like it's just uh it feels like something magical. I mean yeah. it's like rejuvenating.
1: Like oh, you and, earned it, buddy. <laughs> you know. Uh, people are going to kill me if I don't ask you you know what you eat on the daily. Like what's a day in the life of food for you?
0: Yeah, it's uh How's well that work? it's it, it's during the weekdays I'm in Cincinnati and then on the weekends I spend them with Kelly in Circleville. So Circleville is a country town. So uh, Kelly makes some amazing foods I, I, on the weekends. Uh, on the weekdays, I eat uh, a lot of stuff like that I just throw together. Like, I mean, breakfast might be like power and almond milk and like chia seeds and blueberries and then, uh, or oatmeal. And then lunch is like maybe some sort of burrito mm-hmm. or it might be something that like uh, like, I don't eat a lot of salads, but I might be a salad a couple of days a week. And do you, then dinner do, I like you, Indian, do you make that and then put Thai. it in the
1: backpack? And, and yeah, put, I yeah, I do. I like throw all to that school. stuff in my
0: backpack. Right. Yeah,
1: sometimes my backpack is kind of like the school filled. cafeteria lunch. Not too frequently, yeah.
0: unfortunately. Like uh, once in a blue moon, they might have something I can eat, but they don't have a lot of offerings. Right. Like our school program, it, we still have to work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but uh, I like ethnic food, so like Thai food, Indian. Mexican food all those things. Uh-huh. In Circleville it's more challenging. Like that's a rural community. So we have in Circleville there's literally only Chipotle and like a Mexican restaurant we eat at and then otherwise I just have to like buy stuff at our right. grocery store
1: and throw it together. You right. know but are you, do you like the cooking part or are you just rather like, uh, you're on, the, you're on yeah, the move. I'm on the move. Yeah. So I'm I, so I, bad, I, I, I
0: wouldn't mind cooking, but I'm not, I, I don't, I rarely cook. Like I literally just go and buy things fast in Cincinnati, like out to eat uh-huh. um, or uh, I, my mom, I take her out to eat a couple nights a week in Cincinnati. So we go out to eat and uh, but I don't make food that often. Like, I mean, Kelly's uh-huh. really gotten into it uh-huh. and I, I, I just get to be the free rider on that. Like, yeah. uh, it would be a great idea. It's not like, a, I'm, I'm definitely like, <laughs> I'm interested in the idea, but I don't, I don't dedicate the time to it. Like, yeah. I'm just always on the move.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it, man, I get it. Um, the last thing I wanna explore with you is, I imagine somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I can't believe this guy does all this stuff. How does he do it? Like, I'm inspired. I wanna, I you know, it's it's time, it's time. I, I gotta finally get off the couch and like rectify this couch potato situation I'm in. Like, how do you, you know, catalyze that spark, get people off the couch, get them active. Like, how does somebody begin that journey?
0: Yeah, I think it, it, the most important thing is is to find, Find something that you love or you have fun with, and I know it's it doesn't become a love immediately. I've heard people like they start running, and it's like it takes three months before they actually start to like it a little bit. Like it, it, they have that period where it's like I don't like this. Yeah. So I guess getting in
1: running shape is the worst. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Find, finding something you in, enjoy, and it might be hiking, it might be like swimming, or whatever it is. But finding something you, you have fun with, also having like a, accountability partners. So like. With Cincinnati, it's a really nice city because we have actually like eight different running groups like that you can like join that are just, that's not even counting the private running groups everyone is part of. Um, And like joining a program, it it can be really helpful to to have that motivation like, okay, every Wednesday or every Saturday, we're gonna meet up and run. I think having some sort of accountability partner Mm -hmm. is huge. Having goals, like having a goal out there. So like, I like to make my list of like 10 to 12 goals, literally every, like I do it over the winter break. Like I do that before January 1st comes. It, it, it might sound kind of like, but I literally, that's powerful to me because it, it sets out what I wanna go for the year. And I like to dream big and go for big things. But having like goals out there, something that you can like sign up for is like mm-hmm. three months out, That's that's huge. Keeping things interesting. So like I have routines, like I do certain routines, like my run to work, is pretty routine, but I also like to mix it up. So on a Saturday or Sunday, I wanna go explore something new. So like in Ohio, I've had this goal of like going to all 88 counties and I'm it's probably take me another 20 yeah. years to get there. It's but like a Ricky like, Gates thing. Right, but I was, and I, and I go out to state parks. I try to see a new trail, but like, and I also like to do that with countries. So I've like now I'm at 101 countries and I like to go see a new country and like incorporate yeah. some adventure with that because it kind of sparks running as well uh, with what I do. But having like a little like thing that you do maybe once every couple of weeks where you 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 get off your normal routine it can be powerful. It doesn't have to go to another country or even another county, but just like trying something a little bit different with what you're doing, it makes it, it brings a nuance to it that makes it so that you'll have incredible long, you know, yeah. more longevity with it.
1: One of the, the daily habits that you've adopted that I think is super interesting is this um, personal journaling that, that is beyond journaling, like you write down everything that you do. Well, not true? everything.
0: But I should have bring my calendar
1: in here. Right, it's like, yeah, it's like, every day I write down everything that I yeah, do. Yeah,
0: it's kind of funny. Like my uh. students, occasionally will see my calendar on my desk, I'm like, man, so what are you doing with that? Like, don't you write that in your phone? Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm like old school. I have like everything, I've I've got all my runs in there, all my like, uh, you know, plots, like whatever is happening. Yeah, I do like to write, I don't write everything down, but I do like to write, some things down. I think there's something powerful about writing down like your program, sure. whatever that is, or whatever your goals are for the week. Like there, there is some power to that. When you write something down, like before Biggs, I also had some things on my mirror. Like, I mean, my fiance comes uh, to the city house, I'm gonna have to clean things up. But in my, my bathroom, my mirror, I have like three quotes that are written down right now. And they're- What are j- those quotes? uh one of them is actually I, one of them I have to paraphrase, but it's actually from Laz It's like something about being inspired when people push like to the most extreme amounts and go beyond it like it was like going into big's backyard, you know like Laz is uh he's quite a remarkable character, and he's kind of influenced a lot of us out there and you know, to just see his joy of his inspiration of us making 300 and having three runners do something that he didn't think might be possible mm-hmm. on his course was something that lit me up. You know, like that was super powerful. And I'm going to keep that quote up there now since I'm doing Barkley and, and the chances of me finishing are like, according to Lads, like one in a million. Right. In fact, I'm I love like how this, so much of yeah. this is like. I gotta win over Laz. Yeah, yeah no, it's right. like, right,
1: I'll, right. I'll, I'll kill myself in order to get that guy's approval.
0: Right. It is like uh, he's actually said I'm like the sacrificial lamb, which is like the the runner least likely to expected to uh-huh. finish the race. Right. But, um, yeah. And
1: other quotes?
0: Uh, yeah. Let's see. You know. Uh, Actually, there's one from David Goggins I mean i kind I, I, david and i we've done some races together, and mm-hmm. I admire him uh, I think it's uh uncommon amongst uncommon right yeah yeah to be yeah i yeah I don't know exactly how it it's goes, something it's like it's, like i'm that, paraphrasing yeah. I'm messing it up again <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh it, it's something you you're pushing yourself to to a place where you you never imagine yourself to possibly go to.
1: Right, his other big quote is all about this idea that when you think you're done, you've only tapped into 40% of what you're capable of. I mean, how do you think about that, that valence between the mental and the physical with what you do? I mean, it tips so mental when you're talking about bigs, it's like, it's all in the head.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's point.
1: it's so much in the head, like is
0: with your training, which, will catapult you to that level. Like that depends on your mind as well. So, I mean, so much is the mindset to get out there when it's cold and rainy and 11 p.m. You know, like what, what's driving you? So then it gets us back to the question of why. And that's the other major thing. And like, to be honest with you, whenever I'm doing an a race that I really care about, I actually write down my why statement. And I write down a bunch of stuff under why. So not for bigs,
1: what was the why?
0: I had about 15 things. Yeah. Yeah, but uh some are sort of personal. Um some definitely would be like uh for other people, like uh you know, for my students or my my parents uh for I would like to 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 impact other people in their lifestyle and like their their health and like what they're doing. So like that motivates me a lot to 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 do my very best to hopefully, you know, impact someone else.
1: Sure. And just being clear about that why makes it the thing that you can pivot to when you're hitting the wall and you think yeah. you can't go on. You 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 kind of return or remind yourself like, "Oh, these are the whys that gets you into that extra gear."
0: It's so important. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. Like, I mean, there's so many times where you in your mind and your conscious, you 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 t- uh struggle with a thought about Giving in, but you can't give in. So you have to like have a why that's so strong that you would not give in.
1: Yeah, yeah. so what's your why for Barclay? Barclay. Do they stay the same or just? Uh, no, they always
0: change. Yeah, so I usually don't write it out until like the two weeks before. Mm. Like I really write it out then. So I have to really think about it. But I do, I do have some ideas for my spirit animal.
1: Cause that, yeah. that also rotates, you know. You can't go back to the honey badger. No, yeah, you gotta, you gotta well, the honey badger is up. good in bigs,
0: but like I think in Barkley, it might be the wild boar. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. there there wild boar
0: <laughs> out there, and you gotta like just be
1: like resourceful, resourceful, will survive anything. Right. And
0: somehow those animals manage to make it up all those steep mountains. Uh huh. Yeah. Maybe even though find it a seems impossible. Yeah, there. yeah, find a truffle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well. Best of luck to you, man. It's uh, really inspiring, um, not just what you do and what you've accomplished, but like how you comport yourself. Like I, I really enjoy talking to you and I, I find your example to be incredibly inspiring. And the fact that you're out there just having the year of your life at age 45 with like no end in sight in terms of, of your potential and your capabilities and you're doing it plant-based. I mean, you're setting a new like example for what's possible in athletics. Like you're an adventurer, like you're way out on the fringe, man. Like seeing what all the rest of us uh, you know, are capable of. And I think it's really cool. And if there's anything I can do to be of service to you, like I'm at your disposal, my friend. Wow,
0: thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much.
1: It's, it's really been fun chatting yeah. with you. and. Honor to be here. Cool. So if people want to learn more about you, I mean, is Instagram the best place to send them or where in, in, in yeah. addition to the documentary?
0: Yeah, Instagram, Harvey Lewis, Ultra Runner, or Facebook.
1: Mm-hmm. That's your deal, yeah. man. You got a website? You don't have a website. I don't do have you. a
0: website. No. I I I have run quest travel. So yeah. I, I didn't mention it, but I do take people on right. running holidays in, in, yeah, yeah, in, in yeah. June to Wednesday. Portugal.
1: Oh, in Portugal. Yeah, wow. yeah. So in June.
0: If you ever wanna come along, yeah. there's there's some amazing swimming places as well. Mm, nice, and mountains yeah. to hike up and run, all kinds of things. I'm gonna be thinking about that. Yes. Yeah, I'll it, just it's be coming cuisine. back from,
1: we're doing one in, in, in Italy in May. So mm. I don't know if I could back to back it. Maybe I'll just stay there and go from Italy to see, Portugal. That, that, June, would, yeah. that
0: would be the way to go. <laughs> I,
1: gotta, I gotta talk to you Where <laughs> are about you guys that. going we'll in see. Italy? Uh, we do this event in Tuscany every year. I mean, COVID obviously we didn't do it, but, um, we have this amazing um, uh, location there, this like working olive farm mm. uh, where we've been taking groups for many years. And it's sort of a seven day kind of food, yeah. meditation, trail running, you know, extravaganza experience. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like yeah. a dream. So. Got a spot for you if you oh. want to do that first and
0: uh, get a lead uh, on your yeah. uh, on your my, Portugal my trip. Principal might not be too happy. That's about right. Yeah, He's when like, school uh, get out, you yeah, get those summers like, off now. Right. Yeah. Now that's a big thing. But uh, yeah,
1: right on. Well, good luck at Berkeley. When you when you conquer that thing, you got an open seat to come back here and tell me how you did it.
0: Wow, that's another why. There
1: you go. I just
0: added to the (laughs) why. You just added
1: to the why list. Cool, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Peace, plants, run, wow, Harvey, (laughs) all right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Cale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg and Grayson Wilder. Graphic and social media assets courtesy of Jessica Miranda, Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and A.J. Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants.
0: Namaste.